Hello, everyone, and welcome to Infinity Watchers. With me, John, him, Jared, and we are here to talk about all things Marvel, all things cinematic, and all things universe. And we are, you know, speaking of universes, I think we are the number one podcast in the universe. I think so, too. So, you know, you're here. You're lucky to be listening to us. We're lucky to have you listening to us. I think so, four. (laughs) And we are going to have a great Marvel discussion this week. We are going to go through our top 12 MCU movies. So if you if you didn't know last week we did our our bottom half of our MCU rankings so we hit 25 through 13 um and this week you know we are going to dive right into our top 12 it's going to be a very exciting and uh lively conversation I would imagine so do I, I imagine so too So Jared how was your week It was good it was busy but I had a lot going on uh it was a little all over the place Yeah I, I'm kind of in the same boat as you I mean, it was a busy, busy, busy week. You know, fun weekend and some had some decent weather here and got to got to enjoy that a bit. Did you do anything but, special for Mother's Day? Uh, not so much. Just you know, hung out with mothers. <laughs> <laughs> Where would we be without them? <laughs> Where would we be without them? <laughs> Non-existent, actually. Exactly. <laughs> a belated um, Mother's Day to all the moms out there. So we have we have a great week of discussion, as I mentioned. In addition to our top twelve rankings, we're gonna we're gonna talk about our fan cast choices for Johnny Storm, aka the Human Torch. So that's gonna be that's gonna be good. And we're getting to the end of our Fantastic Four fan casting. Yeah, it's sad. It's sad. Yeah, those we're are g- the big those are the big exciting ones. You know, we'll start hitting some of the X Men next, but I think Fantastic Four is the one that's imminent. So we will know probably within within a year whether. We were even close to the mark. <laughs> <laughs> we could be, we could be just in a completely different ballpark. Oh yeah, it would be nice if one of our names that we had talked about on this podcast got cast for one of the roles. But you, you know, know, you know, the more I think about Annie Murphy as Sue Storm, the more I like it. After you and I talked about it last week, uh-huh. like I almost put her down as a choice, and just part of me was saying, "No, don't do it. It's not. No, don't do that." And lo and behold, you put it down. And I, I just can't stop thinking about that. And that wow. actually influenced a lot of what my Johnny Ooh. Storm prediction should be. All right. Yeah, stay tuned to hear that because we'll see if I can convince Jared of my choices for that one as well. Okay, we'll see. All right, with that, uh, I think it's time to hit our news. We had a ton this week. Oh, my goodness. Uh, every week is, is busy with Marvel news, but this week... You know, was just another one of those. It was on a um, Monday where a lot of this came too. Yeah, so I mean, first thing Monday morning, we got a wonderful, wonderful montage from Marvel Studios um, titled "See You at the Movies," and they just hit us with Stanley narrating a bunch of clips from Marvel movies, and talking about people coming together again. You know, definitely referencing the the pandemic and how theaters have been closed, um, and just talking about how great it was for everyone to be in person together. They're playing all the emotional beats from any Marvel Studios movie from, you know, Iron Man and Spider-Man's reunion to the final scene between Killmonger and and T'Challa to the Yondu and Peter scene from Guardians 2. They they hit all the, they pulled on the emotional heartstrings with Mm -hmm. this one. And to have Stan Lee narrating it and all the things he's saying during it just really got you excited to 
to be in the theaters again and watching a, a Marvel Studios film. And then they, they segue that directly into a hype reel of what's to come, <laughs> showing footage of, of all of the upcoming films that they have footage to show from. Um, we, we got some new footage from Black Widow, uh, some new, I think it was mostly recut footage from the Shang-Chi trailer. Um, and then mm-hmm. the huge surprise was the first footage from Eternals. Yeah, there's like two or three, like five seconds, not even five seconds. It was maybe mm-hmm. five seconds total of footage. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it was all kind of just um, the Eternals standing and, and looking in different directions. It wasn't. And it was, I mean, we haven't seen much of it, but from what the five seconds of it we have seen, it is exactly how I pictured it would be. Mm-hmm. You can you can tell like that Chloe Zhao filmed on location <laughs> just in these shots. Like it, it's evident. It's very apparent. And just real quick, um, I don't want to go too much on a tangent about the Eternals, but I, I did find it funny that apparently Feige hadn't seen Nomadland before he picked Zhao to be oh wow <laughs> to be the director. That's so amazing. when she came and said came in for the pitch and said she had a vision for what the Eternals could be. He, he didn't really think anything of it until he watched the footage and was like, this is on location. Like, this is incredible what she's doing. Yeah. I've never seen. He, he has called it the best pitch of that he's ever heard. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's so exciting. Um, you know that it was awesome to get that footage. Um, we, we're actually going to do a deep dive on this entire montage and, and kind of segue that into a, a larger phase four discussion uh, next week as our as our main topic so i think we have a lot to talk about from just this montage and you know just kind of reviewing some of the stuff we already know about what's to come in phase four yeah. um, but some new stuff we got at the end of this footage after the eternals trailer um we got two uh new titles so captain marvel 2 has now been changed to be the marvels and black panther 2 is now black panther wakanda forever and so i <laughs> When they showed that title, I like almost choked up. Like me too. It was so perfect. I didn't expect it at all. Um, it it just really hit home that they're gonna they're gonna really tackle the issue of of losing Chadwick Boseman in this mm-hmm. film in a very metal way by addressing the same kind of feelings through uh, losing T'Challa in the MCU. So it's it's <laughs> that that title really hit me. Um, and then the other big piece of news was we got um well as part of this montage we got a release date for ant-man and the wasp quantum mania which is coming out on february 17th 2023 Mm -hmm. and we got a release date for guardians of the galaxy volume 3 which is may 5th 2023 and then after the guardians reel we we were shown the fantastic four logo again um so you kind of presume that would be in the July to November window, somewhere in that range. I, I think it would be a great summer movie, kind of how you reference the Spider-Man films have been in the past. And John Watts has shown that he can take mm-hmm. the box office in the summer. So they'll probably they'll probably let that fall there. But we didn't get an official date on that yet. And still, we don't have any, any casting news or any news on that movie aside from the uh, John Watts being attached. So. Mm-hmm. so what did you think about this montage as a whole? Um, so the, the emotional, uh, the emotional heartstrings I did tug on, uh, I didn't feel, I don't mean to sound cynical, but I didn't feel as choked up as some people might've, I was just excited to kind of be reminded what it was like to be in the theater, especially for the end game scene of, yeah. of Cap picking up Thor's hammer. Um, I mean, that was, that was a real piece of work. <laughs> um, 
I think I, I, I got more excited when they just started rapid firing uh, all of the new announcements and all of the dates. Yeah. I mean, we had been speculating for the past few weeks over what's going to come out when, and I mean, we were fairly accurate. We had, mm-hmm. we were off by a year in some cases, but like, I mean, yeah. we were just trying to speculate based on how production has been going. So um, seeing the title changes for Captain Marvel 2 and Black Panther 2 really got me excited for that. Yeah, uh, and kind of seeing the and you can't really tell much by how it, how the title card looks, but seeing well, the title card for Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Three mm. uh, and how and its visual style compared to the first two got me kind of excited for what yeah. direction Gunn's going to take that in. Yeah, Granted, we don't know anything about that considering he's still finishing up the Suicide Squad and mm-hmm. is probably about to start uh, a press tour for that. So we won't get anything on Guardians 3 for a while. But Well, you know, Gunn, he might talk about it during the press tour. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. Squad. I know that... Uh, I know he's talked about Thor, Love, and Thunder a little bit because the Guardians mm-hmm. are showing up in that. He has said that the Guardians are in good hands with Taika Waititi. Mm-hmm. He's, he's been a, a kind of a consultant to, to that movie because of yeah. those characters, and he said that Taika knows what he's doing with them, so mm-hmm. they're in good hands. Uh, but there really hasn't been much about Guardians 3, except he's made a few off-hand, offhand comments about what he might or might not do with Adam Warlock. Well, we do know one thing. We are going to read way too much into oh, the yeah. logo next week. Oh yeah, easily. We're gonna we're gonna make story predictions based on the visual <laughs> style of the Guardians logo, <laughs> and then as, as any know for right as any fan would do, right? Exactly. Yep. That's what normal people do. They look at a logo and can predict the entire film, the entire story, I have seen the entire some crazy plot. theories on Reddit, and we'll dive into some of those <laughs> next week for sure. Are you serious? Yes, oh <laughs> I'm not God. kidding. I'm, I I'm cannot to wait to hear these. Them. So, kind of on the on the topic of different trailers and everything, we got a quick quick teaser for Loki. Um, mm-hmm. Not a ton of new footage, just uh, a couple a couple fun quips from Owen Wilson and Tom Hiddleston, kind of playing off each other some more. But the bigger bigger news revolving around Loki was that we got a new air date for it. So instead of airing on June 11th as it was previously scheduled to. It will now air on June 9th, which is a Wednesday, and they're actually shifting the entire series to premiere on Wednesdays. Um, and they kind of played off of that as being, you know, the, the god of mischief. Like, as mm. <laughs> naturally, he's going to shift around the, the dates as we get closer to. So I thought that was kind of cool. I guess, but I, it, it probably, it'd be a little chaotic, but it would have been funny. If, or every week there was a different day it was released. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> to play that with be, that. That would be pretty To funny. play with that. I wonder, though, if because of Bla- or Black Widow going to uh, the Premier Access program, premier access plus i don't i never know what to actually call i think it's primarily that's going to be a if that's a factor i think that's a big factor i think you know with they did something similar with the mandalorian when when rise of skywalker came out as that Mm -hmm. aired they shifted one episode back to a wednesday Mm -hmm. and um just to get it off of the release date of rise of skywalker because they don't want to compete that much against themselves oh yeah Um, but i almost wonder if this is going to be the day of the week that they claim for mcu television and then because eventually, you know, we're, we're going to have an overlap where they have a big series on Friday for Star Wars and a big series on Friday for mm-hmm. Marvel. Like, I, I'd imagine if you, you know, if you look next year and you have She-Hulk and Ahsoka airing on Fridays at the same yeah, time or something, that would spell a, trouble for them a bit. That's a really but, good point. This is just Disney's Disney's way. This isn't even this probably isn't even Marvel's call. This is probably 
Oh yeah. This is sure. I didn't even think about that. That this is Disney's call to not cannibalize itself. Exactly. Yeah. So I, I think it's it feels weird now, and mm-hmm. I, I kind of feel like this is going to be the the thing going forward. And I think part of it too is already they're worried about that because um, not that this is a competing show or anything, but they have uh, the new Star Wars animated show, The Bad Batch, has started mm-hmm. to air on Fridays as well, and will air during Loki. I, I I'm I'm wondering. Since you mentioned that Star Wars is going to take up Fridays, uh, and it sounds like Marvel's series are going to take up Wednesdays, uh, it come fall when theaters start to open. Uh, I wonder if part of Disney's plan is to now capture half the week when move or they have a Marvel series coming out Wednesday. They have a big tentpole release coming out. Typically, it's Thursday night. Is they always say it's a Friday day, but the they always come out the Thursday night before. And then Friday, uh, they release some Star Wars property. So now they're going yeah. to own three nights of the week in this case. Yeah, they very well could do that. They have a lot of Star Wars stuff lined up too. I, I, I just wonder if, you know, I, I do long-term think that they're they're going to stick Marvel on one night and Star Wars on another. Mm. Um, I just wonder if it is Marvel Wednesdays instead of Marvel Fridays. I, I feel like over time, Marvel's going to prove to be the bigger series. <laughs> Just because I, I think a lot of the Star Wars stuff they have coming up isn't going to be as impactful or perform as well as the Mandalorian, in my opinion. Like they, I think the next thing is the Cassian Andor series, right? And that's that's one that's coming soon, and that just I don't think he's going to pull near what WandaVision or Falcon the Winter Soldier does, or the yeah, Mandalorian I, for that matter. I, I not to do. I know we're kind of going into a tangent with Star Wars, <laughs> but I feel like <laughs> I feel like uh, the Star Wars series are have more of a niche fan base where the hardcore fans are going to be the ones that stick with this mm-hmm. and the more casual ones are going to jump on to the entries that uh tend to gain a little more popularity like mm-hmm. mandalorian um i i think with marvel it's a little bit they've designed their product in a way where it's a little bit easier to jump into properties without having a bad story yeah in a, in a- in a sense, I, I also feel though at the same time that the Star Wars ones probably stand alone a bit better. Mm-hmm. Like the Mandalorian does more so than like WandaVision. Yeah, but it it really depends on what it, what it's going to be. Like I think the Obi Wan Star Wars is going to be more hit and miss, and I think Marvel is going to be more consistent in their viewership. That okay, that's what like, I was trying the, to get the at. Difference, that's a better way think, to say it. Yeah, I think the difference between what the Falcon and the Winter Soldier pools and what Miss Marvel pools to pick like an old one and a new one. Yeah, is going to be very close. Whereas the difference between what the Cassian Andor series pools and what the Obi Wan series pools. You know, mm-hmm. like people are going to watch the Obi-Wan series and that's going to perform like incredibly well, I think. Mm-hmm. But the Cassian Andor might not. Whereas I think the Falcon, the Winter Soldier and Miss Marvel are both going to pull large audience. That's fair. Maybe. That's maybe. Just, uh, we'll see. I mean, we'll see in the long run. Maybe I was just reading into it too much. I don't know which date is like the preferred date. I just kind of feel like Fridays are now an event where like mm-hmm. you're setting in to watch the big, the big Disney plus release of the week. So I would prefer if we had Marvel Wednesdays that give us more time to record. Yeah, that's edit. fair. It gives us, <laughs> now, instead of having two days, Please. it gives us three or four days. Yeah. To... It's going to be nice for Loki. I'm, I'm actually looking forward to that. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Um, so we got our, our new Loki dates. The, the next thing was in an interview, um, Kevin Feige was talking about Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness, wrapping filming um, and, you know, wrapping up some some WandaVision stuff. And 
he talked a bit about a Doctor Strange cameo that was cut from WandaVision, as we all kind of had predicted would, mm-hmm. would happen. Um, he, he had it, and you know they cut it because he felt it detracted from Wanda's story, which is something we talked about in, uh, towards the finale of WandaVision when you and I discussed it was like, any any larger presence like if if they went with reed richards as the aerospace engineer if they went with dr strange showing up if they went with mephisto it had potential to overshadow wanda as the center of the story Mm -hmm. Uh, so i think it was a smart decision in that he also talked about how it caused some rewrites for multiverse of madness as well um to where you know they they had to work strange and wanda meeting in into that film instead um he also mentioned that wanda getting away at the the end of WandaVision was meant to be her, you know, escaping consequences. Like she's running mm-hmm. from them. She knows that because she did something incredibly awful to all these people, that consequences are coming. And she can't um, face them. And she head can't on. face them. So I, I think I think she's preparing for something to come get her. And I think it's gonna be strange or it could be whatever the villain ends up being in that series if it's not Wanda. Mm-hmm. Um could be coming for her so i I think we'll see ultimately i I expect her to be a a hero in that movie but i think she could start as somewhat of an antagonist um but to me if they if they had their meeting in wandavision and it was cut from that and put into dr strange 2 that makes me think that she's in a more heroic role in dr strange 2 maybe sort of it depends it depends on how 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 um comprehensive that cameo was and how how impactful (laughs) It could have just been. Well, know, did he say? Did he say the cameo outside. was filmed or it was planned? I think it was planned. Okay. I don't because... think it was filmed, but they 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 planned it while they were writing Multiverse of Madness, and then had to rewrite Multiverse of Madness because of the changes. Okay, so I mean, it it can go either way. I I'm I'm on the side of that she is set up to be a villain in this case because we've heard that that WandaVision is meant to lead straight into Multiverse of Madness. So yeah. it only made sense to me that we got a villain's origin story in WandaVision. Yeah, could be. You just kind of hope it's not in the way that Doctor Strange led into Ragnarok. <laughs> right? <laughs> like like he just... Oh, I hope those days are over. <laughs> like the very minor. I, I loved his role in Ragnarok. I just wish it was more... But I, know, I, I wish what, either wish I mean. it was more or those type of interactions happen more often. <laughs> that's what like I mean. A hero that, pops in for a scene and that's it. That's why know? I'm hoping that it's it's more than just one scene here or there. It like they actually tie properties together. They they I mean, look at what happened when they're gonna have to explain this, I think, because it, it kind of is a plot hole. Like Thor and Loki showed up on Earth and within like ten seconds, Strange <laughs> grabbed Loki and just sucked him. <laughs> like he just like teleported him into a hole for a half hour <laughs> and wanda like took over this entire town for like a what a week i don't he know did, how he long did it was nothing. <laughs> she didn't i mean maybe he just didn't know she was doing that or he wasn't okay i'm sorry it he did say in ragnarok that he kept the list of of people he needed to keep an eye on so maybe he you know just saw wanda as a hero and didn't maybe didn't have her on that list but anyways yeah it's just interesting to to kind of see that they initially did plan that cameo that we all speculated was going to happen and that uh, caused a ripple effect when they cut it um, but i think it was the right decision to cut it looking back on wandavision oh easily our next and final news story of the week is that the production uh for blade was pushed from september 
uh, September 2021 to July 2022. Um, so delay of you know, about 10 months. This wasn't surprising after we saw the the see with the movies montage earlier and it wasn't mm-hmm. there but it wasn't the last kind of sizzle reel announced well they announced it a long time ago now almost two years um, it has been almost two years and it's comic-con yeah wow um, that's hard to believe <laughs> yeah. yeah time well they um, they always had the implication that this was going to be this wasn't going to be in phase four this was going to be a phase five property they didn't hint either way at it but they didn't throw it up there on the phase four graphic that they showed so yeah it it got pushed a bit there also was a blurb this next part was kind of in relation to um, warner brothers new superman movie that they're working on Mm -hmm. Um, so they had they had kind of list a short list of directors and said that marvel and warner brothers are currently competing for for this same kind of director shortlist for uh, superman and blade Mm -hmm. both so the the director shortlist that they're reportedly competing over is uh, Regina King, who did One Night in Miami, mm-hmm. Shaka King, who directed mm-hmm. Judas and the Black Messiah, mm-hmm. Stephen Capel Jr., who directed Creed Two, J.D. Dillard, who directed Slight and Sweetheart. Um, Slight was a 2016 superhero film, and Sweetheart was a 2019 horror film. I wasn't really familiar with either of those. I'm not familiar with either of those. Um, and then an interesting name is Ryan Coogler. Um, so not surprised to see him show up and you know i i would think that black panther is going to take him a bit out of the running but the yeah. delay makes me suspicious <laughs> so okay so what's interesting is uh shocker kane and ryan Coogler actually have a pretty strong connection here um so i, I i'm with you that ryan Coogler is probably out of the running uh it he's an interesting choice given that Disney just partnered with him on a number of pro or just partnered with his studio uh, for a number of projects, including mm. uh, a Wakanda series. So mm. I think, I think he's going to be out for this one. And mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I would rather this go to somebody else. I love what Google does, but I'd like to see somebody else's vision of what, of what blade can be. Mm-hmm. Um, Shaka Chain's interesting because I mean, Google produced Jews and the black Messiah. He had a um, he had a pretty prominent role in bringing that to um, to streaming and uh, getting Warner to basically because his name was attached to it. Warner decided to move forward with putting hmm. it on their platform. Wow! Um, I absolutely love what Judas and the Black Messiah is. Uh, I think Shaka is a fascinating filmmaker. Um, it has a lot of Scorsese elements has a lot of black exploitation elements. It he's very versatile in his storytelling, mm-hmm. and that that movie in the wrong hands could be very dry and boring. And the fact that he was able to take uh, a story about Fred Hampton and make a compelling argument for why William O'Neill is not the is not the historical. Uh, villain that people point him out to be for fred hampton's assassination mm-hmm. just absolutely astounds me yeah was was shaka king nominated for judas and the black messiah uh unfortunately no uh, i thought he was snubbed for it but mm. i mean to be fair to the the best director category was stacked this year in general uh, i think if you were to take any out and replace them i think it would have been emerald Fennell. Uh, for promising young woman and put Shaka Kane in for Judas. 
Uh, I think if memory serves me right, this was also like his major debut as well. He, he's done oh, a wow. few. He's done a few episodes of High Maintenance and a few episodes of Shrill and a few shorts, but uh, this was like this is basically his breakout uh, hmm. film. Yeah, so I mean, I think they're all good choices. So um, I'd be really excited to see what any of them mm-hmm. do. Yeah, I, I don't think it'll be Coogler. I wouldn't be surprised to see him do Superman, though. That would be really cool. That would be, be cool. Really interesting. That that wraps up our news for the week. Lots of lots of good stuff to talk about. Some we'll elaborate on in our topic next week. But now it is time to cast the Human Torch. Just one note about about the fan casting we did last week with Doom, or two weeks ago with Doom. Um, I realized I've said Brian Cranston is one of my choices. Yes. But thinking about it, Brian Cranston already exists in the MCU <laughs> because in WandaVision, there's a scene where she's watching watching Malcolm in the Middle, and it's specifically one where a house falls on Hal, who is played by Brian Cranston. So he already exists within this universe. Oh, I thought you meant the Doom would actually be just Brian Cranston playing himself. <laughs> well, that would be even turn better. Into Dr. Doom. That would be amazing if they were to <laughs> go into that level of detail. But no. I still stick by Cranston yeah, as one of my funny. top three choices. But that I that's a weird little would, workaround. If I would bet something, like you can already make connections like that in the MCU, though. Probably. I just I found it funny looking back on it that that exists. Yeah, that is really funny. Anyway, so let's talk about the Human <laughs> Torch. Yeah. So as with our as with our last. Uh, casting lists we will um, go over our top three choices um, so each of us have selected three i don't have any honorable mentions this week to speak of do you do you have any oh, i have to mention four honorable mentions four honorable mentions <laughs> i'll cut it down to two if you want though okay no yeah go with go with your two two okay i'll do two two of my honorable mentions i do have four though uh my first honorable mention is joseph gordon levitt Oh, geez. Hmm. Yeah. Interesting. Starting strong off the date, aren't we? Uh-huh. Uh, and then my other, my second one is Lakeith Stanfield. Ooh, okay. Told you I was saving him for something else. And the more I thought about it, I like him. Uh, but I I thought of three others that I think are a better choice than him. All right. So, and that also, free, that also frees him up for some other positions <laughs> down the road. Okay. Very cool. I like it. All right. So, um. Why don't you just start with your your number three choice? Okay, so my number three choice. So I, not to say I was going off of your Annie Murphy choice for Sue Storm, but I I was trying to think of people around the same age, considering they're supposed to be brother and sister. And two of my choices are about the same age or younger. Um, this choice is actually a little bit older. So I was also trying to think of what Johnny Storm could be. And part of me just kept going back to Chris Evans's version of him from 2005 to 2007. Okay. And I think a good updated version of that would be Kieran Culkin, hmm. who I'm familiar with him. Uh, have you watched Succession? No, I haven't. Oh, he is. Uh, you would re- you re- you'll recognize him right away. He was uh, Wallace Wells and Strott Pilgrim, the roommate. Um, but oh, okay. Uh, in Succession, he plays Roman Roy, one of the three main children, and he is an absolute gem in it. He, he's so smarmy and weird and <laughs> just creepy. I feel like he's he's a, uh, Colton is very versatile, and I feel like he could play a very Weasley version of Johnny. 
uh, in this in this universe. Interesting. It'd be a different take on him, and I would be I I would be excited to see how that would go. Hmm. I would I would like to see that. I would like to see it. I'll have to I'll have to read up on his work because I'm honestly not not familiar other than his last name. <laughs> <laughs> and if you haven't seen Succession, definitely watch it. Yeah, I will put it on the list. <laughs> anyway, number three right. for you. So my number three, and I, I definitely skewed younger um, with mine. So I'm thinking in my eyes, I'd like to kind of see like a big sister, little brother dynamic. I think that mm-hmm. could be a lot of fun. Um, also, I, I would like to see someone kind of um, around Tom Holland's age mm-hmm. just to see, you know, if they with <laughs> with John Watts ties to Spider-Man mm-hmm. with Spider-Man's ties in in the larger Marvel universe to the Fantastic Four and vice versa. It would be a lot of fun to see him kind of play a supporting role in this film or another one's down the line. So I'd like to get someone who I think could have a fun, cool dynamic with, with Tom Holland. Um, and the, my number three, you know, thinking younger, and this is the, definitely the youngest person on my list. Um, Finn Wolfhard. Okay. So if you don't know, he, okay. he starred in it, uh, and he stars in stranger things as well. Yeah, You definitely skewed a lot like, younger than what um, I was going for. <laughs> um, not with all of mine, not with all three, just with this one, just kind of thinking, you know, he, he plays the, the cocky kid mm-hmm. really well. He does. Um, he's a little, a little more like, um, he's a little more nerdy too. A little more ner- nerdy than I would, I would kind of think a, a Johnny storm would be, but I think he has the acting range to pull off like the cocky, arrogant, cool. Mm-hmm. Well, um, he's pretty cool in real life too. He's like <laughs> the front man for a band and stuff. And <laughs> I think, you know, playing into that, like his, his real life persona. I could be, see it. It would be pretty neat. I, I would like to like to see what that would look like and that would be someone that could stick in the mcu for a long time mm-hmm. so my number three is finn wolfhard all right my number two uh i know we keep pulling from the game of thrones universe but it's mm. there there's so many castings from that were so good in that show that uh, i had to i as soon as this person popped in my head i couldn't get him out and that is uh thomas brody sainster who was huh. Jojen in Game of Thrones? Um, he was also Benny in the Queen's Gambit. Oh, okay, I can see that for I, sure. I, I mean, the kids got like that. The kids got charisma. He's got heart. Uh, he can play a bit of a cocky asshole, as we saw with Jojen. Yeah, um, and even with Benny. Um, and he's also Newt in the uh, in the Maze Runner series and Ferb and Finney's and Ferb, but. Oh. Um, I, I, the more I thought about it, the more I liked, the more I liked him in this. Interesting. And, and he's, he's a few, I mean, he will be 31 this year too, believe it or not. So, I mean, he's relatively young and could stick around the MCU for quite a while. Yeah. I, I really like that choice. I'm going to, I'm going to throw an honorable mention out there that I, I just had thought of on the side, mm-hmm. um, that I could. I could totally see now that <laughs> now that we've uh, we've talked about this uh, mentioning Game of Thrones, um, Dean Charles Chapman who played Tommen in Game you of know, Thrones. I, that would be my honorable mention. Okay, that's fair. That's fair. I part of part of me thought Tommen maybe, but I, mm-hmm. I okay, yeah, maybe. He he also was in um, Blinded by the Light. I didn't have a chance to see you, that. I don't know if you saw that. Um, but he was he was very good in that. Um, also with MCU alum Haley Atwell, 
but mm-hmm. um he played a character that was vastly different than Tommen. So, I mean, I've, I've seen him in two things. He, he has, he has chops. Um, so I throwing that as my honorable mention. Sorry to interrupt your, your no, thoughts. No, you're good. At some point, we're just going to be pulling over all of the game of Thrones cast yes. into, into this. At some point, <laughs> at some point, Maria Lena Henley, at some point, we're going to get Sean yeah. Bean over to kill yeah. himself off in one way or another. <laughs> Um, I, I don't know. It's, it, it's obvious that the producers looked to that show and know that there's some sort of crossover, uh, mm-hmm. fan base. I don't think it's an accident that the, yeah. that the finale of that show, one of the biggest battle scenes of that show and Endgame happened on the same weekend. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Just, just spitballing mm-hmm. out loud here. So, um, so my number two, if I could jump to that and I think you'll like this mm-hmm. one. Um, I pulled again from another show that I've pulled from in the past. Um, but my number two choice is Manny Jacinto. If you look him up, he starred in, in the good place as Jason. Okay. He is one of the five core characters of that show. I would say, um, absolutely hilarious. Um, okay. he plays like a really, uh, a huge idiot in the show basically. <laughs> um, but not like in a, in a, in an arrogant jerk idiot kind of way, just like a really stupid character, um, really aloof. But I think he has a lot of good acting chops. He has um, a ton of charisma. He's a very likable character on the show. Um, and I, I could definitely see him stepping into to Johnny Storm. Okay. And he's he's slated to be in the next Top Gun as well. Okay. Oh, really? Yeah. Hmm. I didn't um he was in he was in bad times el royale but i can't think of who he was uh i haven't he was wade but i don't i don't remember that character it, i'm drawing a blank on <laughs> i'm drawing a blank on him um but yeah i could see it um i i'm not gonna lie i haven't seen much of the good place so oh I, my goodness i need to i really need to amazing oh wow He's so, unbelievable in it. So I'm, the show I'm, itself is... I'm a little behind on that one. So I, I'll, I'll take your word for it. Yeah. I mean, I, I will find an MCU role for Ted Danson. <laughs> <laughs> I promise you that. <laughs> and that's Adam Warlock. That is, is my Ted guarantee. <laughs> you know. <laughs> now that you say it out I'm loud. I'm going to sleep on that one. And <laughs> we'll hit it when we... I think after the Fantastic Four, we're hitting Adam Warlock um, as our next one because it. I, I feel like casting for that could be even more imminent than the Fantastic Four. Um, but anyway, so yeah, that's that's my number two, Manny Jacinto. Manny Jacinto. Okay, uh, I'll I'll take your word for it. I again, I haven't seen. I've only seen like the first episode of The Good Place, and I don't remember much of it. So yeah, I, I need great. to go back to it. Oh, but well. I, yeah, I guess I should have spoiler alerted it. Uh, it it's no big deal. <laughs> I've I've had most of it spoiled for me in one way or another. But I'll take your word for it. All right, give me your number one. Let's and my see. number one pitch, going off of my number one pitch from last week of Jillian Jacobs and yours of Annie Murphy, I was looking for somebody around the same age. Um, happened to pick another Pennsylvanian, and most people know him as Kristoff. <laughs> from frozen but i went with jonathan groff interesting and i i I, again i kept i just could not get chris evans out of my head so Uh i could i could see him playing this weird awkward and 
cocky version of this character. And I mean, I think he's fantastic in Mindhunter uh, as uh, Holden, who's just this psychopath, really. I mean, he's um, he's an extremely awkward dude who has no sense of people's skills, hence why he <laughs> goes to interview serial killers. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, I think again, I'm I keep looking for different takes on these characters between both Kieran Culkin and now Jonathan Groff. Uh, he has a, a wide range of fun, campy, over the top at like uh, uh, roles like he did as King George on when he was in, on Broadway. Oh yeah, and uh, I mean, I say what you will about the Frozen series, he he's great in it. <laughs> yeah, oh um, he is. They're good movies. Like they them. are. Um, but I I like them. I I can I can see him have a same age sibling dynamic with between Johnny and Sue. I think having Jonathan Groff play off of one of those two between our number one pitch from last week would be probably the best one to go with. And your number one pitch. So my number one pick is Dacre Montgomery. So if you don't know him, I pulled again from Stranger Things on this list for the second time. Um, he played Billy in Stranger Things. So Billy's kind of the the neighborhood bully. Goes a little bit further than that. But there are parts where he's like the, the charismatic jerk. <laughs> and all I can all I can think is him just playing that as with a, with a more of a compassionate side as um as Johnny Storm and I honestly think it's perfect and it's actually kind of out there as um a, a bigger fan cast choice but I I honestly cannot get it out of my head even though it's kind of a a more common casting that you see around um, okay. I still I still really like it <laughs> again I will take your word for it uh I'm going to be flat out honest i had to pull myself to finish season one of stranger things really and after after that i couldn't i couldn't do season two i couldn't continue on with it so i'm gonna i'm gonna take your word for it <laughs> um was he in season one no okay that's why i don't recognize him or the name yeah. then you you have to watch you, you if you get a chance to watch the show you should i just just to me i personally couldn't i had to like force myself to finish the first season yeah I, that's fair I, I liked it for what it was but when i saw that they were just going to try and continue on with the show i didn't mm-hmm. know i just i couldn't i, I couldn't do it <laughs> um so i'll again i'll take your word for it mm-hmm. <laughs> i'm taking your word for it on all three of them <laughs> so if, if you have to pick between the two watch the good place <laughs> yeah because it's it's really easy to watch and man, I, it, it hits some chords and hits some pulls on the heartstrings very consistently and to see william jackson harper see i i mean the few episodes i've seen i liked him in it so like that's how like yeah like just off those two or three episodes one or two or two or three episodes i've seen i knew like in almost instantly like when names came to came to mind he should be up there mm-hmm uh, but yeah, uh, as for, um, your other pits, I can't, I can't really say I connect to them. I will say, I see that, uh, Daker was in the broken hearts gallery, which I did want to see and just never got around to it. I'm not so, with it. um, it's one of the stars of it too. Speaking of, um, of stranger things, I, man, I, before, before we got the black widow casting, I, I thought that David Harbor would have made a great 
Ben Grimm slash the thing. He would have. <laughs> he would have. Yeah. But I, alas, we got him as Red Guardian <laughs> instead, which I'm really excited about. Anyways. Oh, what one other thing that, that Dacre Montgomery starred in was um the Power Rangers live action movie. Couldn't bring myself was, to do it. He was Jason. So yeah, like Red I, Red Ranger. <laughs> just I I can't. Yeah, I haven't seen it either. Um, <laughs> but I'm guessing <laughs> someone that's listening has <laughs> if uh if if you if you have any pits for uh for johnny storm human torch let us know send us an email tell us on yep. social media we'll uh we'll, we'll, we'll talk about your pits too maybe maybe your pits are better than ours maybe maybe you'll be right and we'll be wrong i have a feeling that we've got at least one name we on have these lists that we is going to end up in that role we have to right you almost you would think the odds are the odds are are too good they are between all the names we keep throwing out like it it's almost inevitable we're gonna get one right it's almost like i don't know if you remember when we were younger we used to play uh the rock band series all the time like all the time i couldn't forget that we would always come up with set lists of what was going to be on the next one Eventually, everything that we picked came up on that series in one form or another. Eventually. (laughs) And we kept saying, oh, we're so good at picking these. (laughs) (laughs) So I think even if we don't get the roles right, I think half the people were saying, I'm going to say about 40 to 60% of the people were saying are going to wind up in the MCU at one point or another. (laughs) In one way or another. <laughs> like even me just throwing out John Mulaney as a joke that has to happen in some way, possibly. Yeah, could be. With Spider- with as much Spider Ham will make it into the MCU. Spider Ham in the MCU, I love it. I absolutely love it. I you think... never know with with No Way Home, anything can happen. <laughs> I try. I oh my god, to see Post-credit Peter Porker scene. in the to see Peter Porker in the MCU. I. I think my life would be complete at that point. <laughs> I don't know. It's yep. there's so much to choose from and so many places to go with this. Marvel's so much of a machine in Hollywood that it's almost impossible to ignore or for stars to ignore it. Yeah, and and speaking of everything having a place and something that cannot be ignored, <laughs> it's time to All right, talk about with that. The top Let's twelve. Kick it over Marvel to our things. rankings. The top half this time. The top half, one through twelve. So I guess just to do a a quick recap of each of our lists, um, you know, I guess Jared, why don't you go through and tell the people what your twenty-five through thirteen are? Set the stage. The people came to hear us, and hear us they shall. Twenty-five for me was Thor, the Dark Thor. Twenty-four was Ant Man and the Wasp. Twenty-three, yes. (laughs) <laughs> yes, it was the darkest Thor, wasn't it? <laughs> yes. 24 was Ant-Man and the Wasp. 23 was Iron Man 2. 22 was the Incredible Hulk. 21 was the first Thor. 20 was Captain America, the first Avenger. 19 was Doctor Strange. 18 was Captain Marvel. 17 was Avengers Age of Ultron. 16 was Ant-Man. 15 was Guardians of the Galaxy. 14 was Falcon and the Winter Soldier. And 13 was the Avengers, the 2012 Avengers. All right. Let's hear from you. So uh, starting at 25, I have at 25, The Incredible Hulk. 24, Thor, The Dark Thor. 
<laughs> 23 Thor, 22 Iron Man 2. Um, and th- those were my four movies that were in my C tier. Now going into the B tier. <laughs> um, at 21, I have Ant-Man and the Wasp. At 20, Captain America, the first Avenger. 19, Ant-Man. At 18, Iron Man 3. At 17, Doctor Strange. At 16, Captain Marvel. Uh, and that's it for my B tier. And then my A tier is Avengers Age of Ultron. At 15, Iron Man at 14. And the Falcon and the Winter Soldier at 13. Good stuff. I think we had a we had an okay we had we had a pretty good discussion last week on our bottom half. And it seemed like we were kind of like dumping on these when we didn't really mean to. Because <laughs> again, there really isn't there aren't really any bad choices in this series. Um, but this top half just exemplifies what the series can do and what it really is. Definitely. I mean, it's at at their worst, they're enjoyable movies, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like at their best, they are great films. (laughs) And can change the culture too, Mm -hmm. in a way. Um, so the way, and you and I both have kind of different strategies when it comes to ranking these, uh, my view on it was essentially what the MCU can do, its potential, how creative they could get with uh, their films, um, and essentially what, what direction they could take the MCU in or what direction the individual films were taken in. Yeah, and that's fair. And and I think the way I, I kind of ranked these was, you know, looking at them with a little bit of rose-colored glasses, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like the nostalgia factor definitely plays in. I, I look back on some of these movies very fondly and the experience I had in the theater, the experience watching it, how surprised I was by it. Um, and then I also think, you know, just the these all of these movies hold up, but the top mm-hmm. 12 for me are especially rewatchable. Yeah. Like most of, most of these, I, I think I could you know, at the drop of a hat, just watch them. <laughs> oh yeah. You know, I mean, they're, they're probably the best ones where if they're on cable, you could throw it on and you'll, you'll be entranced with them for the rest of whatever you pick up with that out of the way, let's get to our top 12. So um, we were discussing this before we started. We both have similar top 12s. Everything is placed in different areas because our criteria are much different, but we decided that we'll kind of continue the discussion of the individual property uh, once we reach whoever has it listed higher in their list. Yep. We want to, we want to keep the suspense factor. Yeah. <laughs> when I say my 12 movie and Jared says that he has it at number one, we don't want to ruin that for you on the spot. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, so that's how we're going to do this. Right. Um, I think there are some, in each of ours that the other person put in the in the bottom half right there are a handful of those so um so we'll talk about those as we hit them yeah so why don't you kick us off with your number 12 okay uh at number 12 i have guardians of the galaxy volume 2 so um really love the guardians franchise overall i think this movie is great rewatchable um uh, the only thing for me is all the humor didn't really land in the same way that the first did Mm -hmm. um i loved all the emotional beats i loved the the story you know between um yondu and rocket and peter and yondu and gamora nebula and all the kind of family dynamics that they delved into in this one 
Um, and I love Kurt Russell's ego. He was a great villain. <laughs> um, so, you know, based on me having it here, I'm guessing you have it higher, but we'll, you know, talk, talk about that and kind of hash it out as we go there. Those are just my kind of my quick thoughts on it. Okay. Yeah. I have that a lot, actually a lot higher. <laughs> uh, so my number 12 then is far from home. Spider-Man far from home. Okay, well, let's just start hashing this one out because I have it at 11. <laughs> so we're, we're about the same on this one. Yep. So, um, I mean, it's a, it's a great entry in the Spider-Man franchise. Uh, I, I prefer this one over the Amazing Spider-Man movies in general. Um, I, Jake Gyllenhaal's performance just sends us over, over the top for me in every way. Um, I've wanted to see Quentin Beck on screen since I was real little. And the fact that we finally get him uh, made, made me super excited. Yeah. I still, I, I get very nostalgic thinking about Mysterio because of the Spider-Man two video game, <laughs> the, the, the one the punch battle. And I, one thing I remember specifically about that, not to go into too much of a tangent, but I remember my, my Spider-Man two disc was scratched. And it kept freezing oh, right at no. the Mysterio battle over and over. And like me being just a naive kid, I'm like, I just keep trying it. Just like maybe this mm-hmm. one time it'll get past them <laughs> where it freezes every single time. <laughs> but I just have that anyways. <laughs> but anyway, I like how I, I like how they tied back to uh, Iron Man one and they brought back all the little can little cameos that, of people who are hidden in the background. Um, it was a nice little callback and the fact that they just directly tied um, Quentin into they read or um, they retconned Quentin is what I really yeah. liked about that development. Uh, I also enjoyed the idea of exploring Tony Stark's legacy mm-hmm. a, a little bit. I mean, we, we got this with Steve and Falcon, the winter soldier, and this was actually where it started with Tony and Peter um peter trying to live up to the expectations of tony only to realize that that's never going to happen mm-hmm. and sam essentially goes through a similar arc in falcon and the winter soldier yeah i i really liked far from home i thought it was a lot of fun it's very rewatchable i think where where i don't have it as high as i do in homecoming is i i get so caught up thinking about the the technology and like how like how, how kind of like wonky the yeah the whole drone explanation for everything is um you know i i i love all of the the bits with peter and hanging out with his high school kids and all mm-hmm. his dynamic with mj i think that's all great um i think the mysterio fight sequences are incredible like the hallucination sequence when he puts peter through all the illusions that Mm-hmm. abandoned building well that's that what i wanted fantastic. to see when i when i saw mysterio was going to be a villain I'm like that i want to see just a trippy sequence at least once yeah and we got multiple of them mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> they they were fantastic um i i i just thought this was a really good movie um definitely worthy of being in the top 12 mm-hmm. um, based on how how rewatchable it is and it, it i do like the the deep dive into the legacy of Tony and the emotional beats that came out of that between Peter and happy. Mm -hmm. I will say the stuff with Ned and Betty and the rest of the class, I thought was a little cartoonish. Um, The stuff with Martin star, Martin star was just too over the top for me. Just too big of a loser. (laughs) Way too big. And okay. But, but the line about, about his wife pretending to be snapped was hilarious. (laughs) (laughs) 
I think that's my that favorite one. joke in the entire movie. He's <laughs> <laughs> like, we had a funeral and everything. <laughs> <laughs> I will say though, it is it. It's interesting uh, to just mention Falcon the Winter Soldier. How this um, this was since this was the first one back after Endgame. Um, it introduced how people started dealing with the snap with the snap, but it did it mm-hmm. in a very comedic way, which I mean, totally made sense. Um, one of the criticisms I've seen of far from home is that it doesn't deal with the snap in the most direct way possible. And I mentioned this in our first episode, but the audio was so bad. You probably couldn't hear it well, Yeah. Um, but this really isn't the film to explore that in. Yeah. I mean, this is about, Peter Parker wanting to take a break from being an Avenger and being a superhero. And I think we kind of wanted the same a little bit after Endgame. Yeah. So I mean, they, they, they did enough of the, here are the effects of the snap for a high school kid. Like, yeah. For a high school class that might not be as concerned about, you know, what's happening in the rest of the world. It's like, Hey, half of our classmates are now like, they were five years younger than us are now in our class that's right kind of crazy we had to we had to repeat the entire year over even though we were almost summer break and and we, we almost I mean, graduated no one would have wanted them to dive into like the the border politics that <laughs> that we start going into with the flag smashers you know like yeah it, that would have been even a bigger criticism i think so i i didn't mind that I also think that, you know, it came out so soon after Endgame and they probably don't want to put that much on Sony to have to shove into their movie you mm-hmm. know? or Sony might not have wanted to do that. But yeah, I, I definitely agree with with the ranking here. Um, and like I said, I have it one spot higher at 11. All right. And my number 11, speaking of shoving things in at the last minute, is Iron Man 3. <laughs> so we discussed this last week. Um, you had it in the bottom half. Uh, I've had it in my top half since since it came out. It, for a while, it was my number one. And then as things progressively came out, it's gone farther down on the list. But um, like I mentioned last week, I absolutely love just about anything Shane Blatt does. Um, he, I think, does a great job at exploring Tony's PTSD after the event of the first Avengers and um, him coming to terms with what being iron man really is it's not necessarily saving the world it's as he ends up putting it in age of ultron putting a suit of armor around the world he wants Mm -hmm. to defend it he doesn't want to avenge it anymore yeah because of what he saw in new york and what is capable when otherworldly beings are brought to this planet um and i think the manner and stuff is a little corny with uh specifically with um aldrich i like Ben Kingsley is the fake Mandarin. I love that twist. It and it upsets so many people that I love it even more. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I think with uh Sean Chi coming out, uh that decision is only going to age better. Yeah. And I, I think um for me, and I said this last week, I think my my problem with it is less on the uh Trevor Slattery side of the Mandarin and mm-hmm. more on the Aldrich Killian side of the Mandarin. Yeah, that, I, that's that, I, I love I love the twist. Like I I have nothing against the twist at all. I just think the the flip side of it didn't pan out to be as compelling as the twist itself. <laughs> mm-hmm. And that that that's fair. Uh the everything with Aldrich is a little cartoony and corny. He's um 
he's very he's very much the riddler from batman forever yeah um and that, that's a fair criticism i can't really blame anybody for disliking it just because the villain in it isn't that strong uh but I like the idea of Tony having to go back to his roots and essentially develop a new uh, Iron Man persona within himself, as opposed to relying on his suits for being Iron Man. I mean, he hand, he makes an Iron Man suit by hand from Lowe's. Right. I, I actually think, you know, to, to talk about the villain stuff a second and go back to that. Mm-hmm. Um, I did hear that they actually originally wanted um maya hansen to be the main villain and not Killian. okay but ike perlmutter who was the ceo that was in charge of marvel studios before they moved under you know the disney film um division Mm -hmm. didn't think that a a um female villain would sell enough toys (laughs) (sighs) that's right we're still in this era yeah (laughs) at that time um that was the the viewpoint and that's you know, right. that was rectified by Feige going to Bob Iger, who was the CEO of Disney at the time and saying, get me out from underneath Ike or I'm out. <laughs> um, so you can see, I, I think under Ike Perlmutter, you know, we wouldn't have had Black Panther. We wouldn't have had Captain Marvel. Um, and, you know, fair. I think that I, I did read that, you know, she was planned to be the primary antagonist and they changed that because he didn't think it would sell enough toys. Now, I mean, I don't, I don't, how many how many Aldrich Killian toys do you see up there though? You know what I mean? Uh it would actually make more sense though of making her the villain of this since she would have been the, the botanist that would have created Extremis, or at least would have um made Extremis into what it was. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that would actually and it ties back to Tony's past. It's not just somebody he wronged, it's somebody he legitimately screwed over. Yeah. So and- they played that twist anyways and turned her into a villain and then just killed her. Yeah. <laughs> like she was the henchman basically of the, of Killian. Basically. Um, that's interesting. I didn't realize that. Mm-hmm. I, I feel like this would be a lot higher if that were the case because we yeah, would have a compelling I, villain. Yeah. She would have been much more compelling and it would have made Killian's character even better because they play him up. Like he's going to be the villain, but it turns out that he's kind of like just a lackey or whatever, you know, mm-hmm. or the test subject for extremists that ended up getting the powers and she's the mastermind or something. Right. That, yeah, that's interesting. Mm-hmm. It would that's be more really compelling. interesting. Yeah. Well, that was my number 11, Iron Man three. Okay. Into the top 10. Into the top 10. So my number 10, um, and I, I was actually surprised I had this, this low because I expected to have it higher, but just, I kept, putting things over it and I, just because so many things are good in the mcu oh my god and we're so lucky <laughs> um, but my number 10 is captain america the winter soldier all right i have that much higher so we'll uh-huh. we'll hold okay. off but if you have anything to say go ahead i mean i think this movie for what it does is pretty much like a near flawless movie <laughs> mm-hmm. i just i tend to kind of lean towards and gravitate towards the ones that feel more like comic books okay that's and that's more, more bright more vibrant and and kind of um more of like a fun watch i guess this is still fun in a different way um mm-hmm. but i mean this movie is rock solid top to bottom like it's really hard to point out a flaw um steve's arc in it is great mm-hmm. the fight scenes are incredible like the the fight scene with the winter soldier on the bridge is one of the best fight scenes in the MCU. And then we have the elevator scene, which is an instant classic. (laughs) 
the the hydra twist was really really good didn't see it coming at all um and seeing that play out on agents of shield like the week after was a lot of fun too i remember watching that in your dorm room at <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> in college but um yeah that's that, whenever they were trying to hype up the connection between shield and, yeah. and the mcu at large yep <laughs> yep um but yeah, this is just great. Our first appearance of Sam Wilson, um, the Fury stuff. If I if I had one criticism, it would maybe be the like fake out Fury death. <laughs> well, if they didn't if they didn't have it in, in the trailer, I think nobody would have expected it. But yeah. there was there was that line of uh, "Guess you're in control," or what what is it again? Guess you're in charge now, Captain. Yeah, or something like that. And it's in the trailer, and we find out Fury dies, and we since that was in the trailer we know and it hadn't come up yet we knew he was coming back <laughs> right yeah <laughs> so that that was um it, it just felt like unnecessary drama <laughs> but i overall i mean this movie is just so good yeah <laughs> so good Easily. and it, it was hard for me to put it at the 10 slot because it's such a good movie um but i just man the the top 10 is just classics honestly. easily <laughs> So, anyways, that's that's my piece with that one. <laughs> Actually, I'm calling it an audible. Uh-oh. <laughs> Sorry, folks. You're hearing this in real time. I'm switching things up mid mid-game. Made a draft or tra- <laughs> traded a draft pick. <clears throat> so my number 10, and you might get smited for saying it this low, <laughs> is endgame and number 10. Well, that's the podcast, everybody. <laughs> I think I made that joke last week, but I'll make it again. <laughs> I mean, again, like you just said, everything in the top 10 is an instant classic in the MCU, at least in my yeah. mind, uh, at least in my <laughs> top 10 um, and your top 10, I'm, I'm guessing. Uh, so I, I, I love Endgame. For me, I had to put it a little bit lower because it's not easily as rewatchable in the sense that, A, it's three hours. And B, of pure story. There's no character development in this except for Tony coming out of retirement and making the sacrifice play at the end. Yeah. That's again, mm-hmm. for the fourth or fifth time. So I, I I was thinking about this and I really, I've seen this experiment done once, but I'd like to do it with somebody I know is to show them Endgame with no context of the rest of the MCU and see what they mm-hmm. think. If they understand it, if they have an idea of what's going on or if they are able to piece together what's happening. Um, I mean, the, uh, to me, the only major flaw of Endgame is that because it was built as an event, you almost need that decade leading up to it to f- get the full enjoyment out of it. Yeah. I mean, during that trailer reel that was released last week, uh-huh. the they showed the footage of the theater watching the final battle of Endgame. And I mean, that's exactly how our theater was too when we went to oh, see it. Yeah. And that's how I all that's I mean, you don't get that sort of payoff without having context Uh and without a decade of build up to it. So it's a little it's a little hard to go back and get the same reaction out of it that I did two years. That's been two years now, two years ago. Yeah. And I've fallen asleep to this movie so many times, like at night because it's three hours. I just put it on so I know it'll it'll be playing in the background. So I've also seen the beginning too many times to um, for it to have any effect as well. (laughs) Yeah, I mean that's that's fair. Um, I I try not to. I do I do agree that this 
doesn't stand alone at all. I mean, it's three hours of fan service. Essentially. Um, I'll, I'll get into saying my piece when we get to yeah. where, I, where I have it ranked. But That's understandable. Yep. All right. You're, you're, you're number nine. My number nine is Spider-Man Homecoming. Good stuff. So I... I love this movie. I definitely think it's more solid top to bottom than Far From Home. Mm-hmm. Um, Vulture and Mysterio actually are probably two of the better villains in the MCU. For Easily. Sure. Well, the Spider-Man um, Rhodes Gallery is one of the best out there. Yeah. I mean, Vulture probably is top three. Mm-hmm. Um, the twist in this was great. Mm-hmm. The, <laughs> the car scene is super intense. I can't remember being that nervous during a scene <laughs> in the MCU. It, it just felt like it, it was just a classic spider-man peter parker scenario like yeah. he dates a girl and it turns out her dad is the villain he's fighting <laughs> like it's like okay that's i mean that's it's, peter well, parker his his social life interacting with his superhero life i'll say my piece when we get to other. it yeah and, and i uh, i just thought this was great i thought it had the perfect amount of tony stark in it i was worried they were going to go overboard with that based on the trailers um, the trailers definitely spoiled a lot for this. That was a negative that I had not towards the movie itself, but I was, I was disappointed by the number. They, I mean, they showed a clip from every fight scene in the trailer. Well, that's a very Sony thing to do. <laughs> yeah, I know it was just disappointing, but it didn't detract from the movie when I was in the theater. I was just kind of worried going into it that well, they they shown too much. They spoiled just enough because that that twist they definitely didn't didn't oh, spoil. No. Not at all. Not at all. And I, I remember that, that twist happening and he opens the door and I'm just thinking, oh no, he has Liz. Like I didn't go to, yeah. I didn't immediately go to, yeah. it's his, it's his daughter. It, I was yeah. like, oh my God, he found out Peter Spider-Man and he kidnapped his girlfriend. Yeah. And I'm like, oh no, he's just like a, like a cool dad. I'm like, oh no, <laughs> this sucks. <laughs> and he was, he was a legitimate villain. They set him up. He had, he had perfect, he had perfect motivation. Mm-hmm. Um, He wasn't, Genu- genuinely a bad dude his worldview I mean, wasn't wrong the fir- he did accidentally kill the first joker or first shocker <laughs> accident oh yeah i guess he yeah. did, did it accidentally um, just shrugs it off yeah he did just shrug it off but um at the same time the 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 justification his character the way keaton plays him is so good and then just getting more of of tom holland as spider-man you know <laughs> after getting the brief glimpse in civil war oh such a great setup so good it's so good and the Showing him um, just be actually a friendly neighborhood Spider-Man, like mm-hmm. just saving. He, he stopped someone from stealing a bike and then was just kind of like running around with the bike asking whose it was because he didn't know, um, <laughs> <laughs> like delivering food to people. Like It was just I, I just love love this movie. So one of my one of my friends who's an actor, she uh, she actually pointed out that when the in the scene where they show the news footage of the monument in D.C., uh, when Toombs is watching it, you can see like a glimpse in his eye, like, oh my God, like, like he realizes his daughter is there. The twist hasn't yeah. happened yet, but he realizes his daughter is there. Right. He, for, yeah. First, he's shocked that this is happening. And then you just see a, a, a twitch, like, oh my God, Liz is there. And yeah, just and- that level of, of detail that Cheaton went into for this performance is yep. astounding. I didn't notice that until she pointed it out. And looking back, they they laid other hints like that throughout mm-hmm. it there's a point where they're the the new shocker and one of the other henchmen are chasing peter through the school and they say to each other can you imagine what the boss would f- say if he knew we were here oh my god i didn't i didn't even know yeah that. <laughs> yeah 
And it's like you you just it's kind of the line you just like like two goob goons you know playing off each other just talking or whatever like you well, just I mean, don't that, even register. But well, then that, rewatching it, it's like oh no, they're they are genuinely afraid he'll find out they're at his daughter's school. Like, yeah, trying to kill a kid. Because at first it sounds like a joke. Right? Oh yeah, just, just the boss is going to take us seriously since we're invading a high school right now. Yeah, but oh my god, I never thought yeah. of that. <laughs> yeah, the <laughs> amount of detail put into that twist is good. <laughs> It's very, very good. Um, and then all the way to the end to show like the Vulture's character that he doesn't give up Peter's name to mm-hmm. Scorpion in the in the jail. I, I just thought uh, it's, this movie's just so good. Well, I'll say I'll save my piece for a little bit later. All right, so my number nine is WandaVision. Okay, I have this at my next spot at number eight. All right, so overall, this series I thought was great. I, I really want to revisit it. Uh, since we're away from a lot of the fan hype, um, it, the fa- the fans ruined it for me a bit with all with all of the Mysterio and Nightmare fueled Mephisto. You mean what did I say? Mysterio. Mysterio. <laughs> well, that one made more sense. Um, that, that would have been a kind of a crazy twist if it, <laughs> all the drones. <laughs> anyway. Um, yeah, so I really like the series. Uh, I really want to revisit it with a lot of the fan. Uh, hype gone um they really hyped up the mephisto and, and nightmare predictions a lot so yeah. it, it it that detracted it from me for me uh, i i really like the idea of wanda essentially becoming a villain in this one and you and i have speculated that um off air that dr strange and the multiverse of madness has wrapped filming lately Mm-hmm. And we haven't really gotten any major news that there is a a, a major villain or another casting mm-hmm. that's been announced. So I mean, it, I don't think it would be out of the realm of possibility that Wanda is the is the villain in this. Yeah, and I, I think that that thing we talked about earlier um, in the news segment about um, them cutting the Doctor Strange cameo from WandaVision. I think that you know how Wanda talks about she escaped because she knew she was going to face consequences and she went somewhere that where no one could find her because she's running from the consequences. I well, think well, that's I just had a, what leads into strange finding her. Right. And I just had a conversation with somebody at work about this, that they didn't like WandaVision because of the lack of consequences on her end for mm-hmm. what she did to those townspeople. And I agreed with them. And I, expl- I explained yours and my theory that she's actually going to be the villain of the next Doctor Strange because of that. And he goes, oh, well, if that's the case, then marvel really knew what they were doing in setting up this character to for this essentially to be an origin story for the villain right i mean it it could be i would i would like that i think it would make it a very emotional movie because you after watching wandavision you want to root for wanda even though she was the villain Mm -hmm. um and you want to root for strange obviously so to have them kind of you know go toe to toe would be really interesting um and yeah i i I felt that too after WandaVision, like, like she just kind of put her hood up and, and pieces out. (laughs) I was like, Oh, I thought you were going to, I thought she was going to do something to make amends. But, um, you know, I, I think at the same time, her story isn't over yet. You know, it it wasn't meant to be a full circle, like, um, a full circle, make amends. Wanda's entire character is healed. Everything's fine with what she did. I, I think it is setting up that hey you did something that was really messed up and you know there are going to be consequences for that mm-hmm. um, and i think i think we'll see some of that if not you know the uh, if not see it all come to a head and 
Multiverse of Madness. But I mean, as far as my thoughts on WandaVision as a whole, I I loved it. I thought it was mm-hmm. really fun week to week. There was a lot of mystery. Um, and I felt satisfied, even though there wasn't the Mephisto twist, there wasn't a strange cameo, there wasn't a nightmare, <laughs> right. anything like that. Um, it was still a lot of fun to speculate that kind of thing and try, you know, you have to kind of distance yourself and try not to get too attached to anything like that because you just don't know a way it, it's going to go ultimately. But I I felt like watching it with as like the, this mystery box and picking apart every little detail was just so much fun. And it was so unique taking mm-hmm. the sitcom angle and that added this entire feeling of like dread and uneasiness with every episode. It just mm-hmm. felt like something was wrong all the time. And they, they filmed it in such a cool way with like these, like when, when things started to go wrong, they would focus in on Wanda's face or someone else's face and get the camera angle, like really claustrophobic and tight. And it made it like really nerve wracking to watch. Cause you knew something was going wrong. Um, but yeah, I mean, I thought Elizabeth Olsen was incredible. Paul Bettany as well. And then Catherine Hahn was just awesome. Out of this world. Oh, she was so much fun. Her Agatha was such an interesting villain too, because she has really, she has no motivation other than give me the powers. Yeah. Make me the Scarlet Witch. Mm -hmm. And yet she's played up as this nosy neighbor that constantly drops in on the family. Uh, it's supposed to be the fun character, but in reality, is like it, it's extremely powerful and dangerous. And yeah. uh, she, I mean, she has some great points that all oh, you're you have all of this power in in this world, and you're using it to play house. Yeah, and I I think that's one one criticism I had of this show is probably on the end of the the villains, you know, ending up being a little bit one note. Um, yeah, Agatha was more fun as well I, she was fun the entire way through i i just felt like they you know she ended up just being i want to absorb your power and that's it i hope mm-hmm. i hope we get a little bit more they did do that one scene of of her being betrayed by the witch coven mm-hmm. um in, in salem so that that was good to at least get some of that backstory the biggest negative for me was probably hayward easily an uninteresting villain and they they had some they they had potential to make him an interesting villain like they there were some conversations between he and monica where he's talking about you know he tells monica she still has the luxury of of being hopeful she wasn't here the last five years and i thought that was like really an interesting viewpoint like he has lived with the snap he has dealt with the snap for five years and you know he has no way to be optimistic about things but then they just turn him into kind of like a a typical one note villain like at the end of it he's trying to shoot the kids like basically and it's like okay you're just a bad idiot now not not to mention his his planning his his logic and planning is so dumb yeah and like the the whole idea of yeah bring wanda back so i can show her her dead lover being torn apart by the u.s (laughs) government to set her over the edge that's not gonna that's so stupid it doesn't make bold any move. sense bold move it doesn't pay off uh-uh. <laughs> no <laughs> nope there's there's no point to it other than to get wanda angry and that's just yeah. a plot plot convenience at that point yeah uh, but overall mm-hmm. yeah he hayward was a poor villain i, I really liked the reintroduction of Mon- monica rambo yeah you mean you mean the 
overall or the actual scene of her oh. <laughs> snapping? <laughs> That's fair. Um, I guess both. Uh, no, I'm talking about overall bringing her back in. Um, is it Photon? Is her name? Um, I don't know if she's going to be Photon or Spectrum, but she's gone okay. by both, and and has gone by Captain Marvel, which. With the title change, the Marvels, I almost wonder if that, she that makes, goes by that. I don't know. <laughs> that's interesting. So, so yeah, she either becomes Photon or, or one of the Marvels. Um, I, I liked her introduction and her origin story, essentially. And, of yep. course, the meme lord himself, Jimmy Woo. Oh, everybody's Jimmy Woo favorite. The man. <laughs> He's the you, real you man have, with the plan. You have to think we get more jimmy woo right in some way <laughs> like, shape or form it, it's it's gonna hit like colson like levels of demanding <laughs> for the character like to where they just give him an entire spinoff series like they did with colson um but yeah i mean i i just i loved wandavision it was a great way to kick off the the disney plus stuff i i i'm happy we got this before falcon and the winter soldier because it, it mm. just felt different and it was a very exciting way to bring the MCU back after a year long absence. Well, I was thinking about this and I don't mean to put COVID in a positive light, but uh, I'm kind of glad that everything got pushed back because of the pandemic and that this was the first thing we've gotten brand new since far from home. And I, I only say that because after far from home, I wanted a break from Marvel for the longest time. Mm-hmm. And after after I saw Far From Home, I just started watching everything that was not Marvel related, <laughs> yeah. just to just to essentially um, clear my head and kind of come down off the high, the high of the MCU, and still coming down from Endgame. Uh, but <laughs> the um, the fact that we had over a year and a half without any new Marvel properties, I think, was to the benefit. Because even even with Black Widow slated to come out in May of 2020, I feel like to me at least that would have been a little that still would have been too soon to throw something else uh-huh. out there. At least for me, uh, I needed I needed a lot more time to to settle. And the fact that this came out in January 2021 helped that. And the fact that it was week to week really helped. At least I'm just talking personally here. Really helped me phase back into getting back into Marvel as a whole. Uh, as opposed to getting three new movies this year out of the blue. Yeah, definitely fair. Um, but yeah, like I said, I, I have WandaVision at, at the eight slot. So if, if you've said your piece with it, we can move on to your number eight. And my eight is Avengers Infinity War. Okay. So I have this down here. It's not my top five. Um, I really like that this is a Thanos origin. We actually get Thanos development. And I, I like the fact that they were able to create they were able to split up the team they did create as fighty always called it the empire strikes back of the mcu and sitting (laughs) sitting in the theater when that snap happens and the whole audience just gasped when they saw it people start fluttering away was just breathtaking pure silence it was pure silence in that theater and just hearing oh my god no like just to see that People are that connected to these characters that don't even exist and that they're yes. able to actually get upset at the fact that their favorite characters are, die- are dying. Um, I thought it was just incredible. Like I'd never seen something like that happen. Um, yeah, the, the, the theater reaction for the 
I don't feel so good, Mr. Stark line. Oh, it's was st- like it still everyone's kills like, me. oh, like there was like an audible groan amongst the whole the entire mm-hmm. audience. <laughs> and <laughs> brings me to tears just standing of that scene. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I, it's not that I don't like Infinity War. It, to me, because it's it has very dark implications over this universe, it's hard for me to go back to on a regular basis. I, I'd rather sit down with Endgame in the background than Infinity War at at times. Okay. That's fair. I'll not save my piece when we get to where I have it. Yeah, not not <laughs> not to mention I like the idea of splitting the entire team up. I I know they had already done that in uh in Civil War and I guess in Rat and Rock too. In Guardians too. But the fact they're able to clump these groups of characters together in ways that make sense and don't feel contrived um and these actors all had good chemistry together yeah i thought was a great this whole thing was a great achievement yep definitely so third avengers movie is my number eight okay your number seven is my number seven is the avengers so avengers one all right um this i i just remember being in the theater and being completely blown away <laughs> by yeah. like what what I had just seen. Well, this is the first time something like that had happened. Right. We've never seen a team up like this before. Uh-uh. And it, it was just everything coming together, the Thanos tease at the end, which unfortunately was spoiled for me before <laughs> before the uh I, I was reading the Wikipedia page and saw that he appeared in the Avengers like a oh. couple weeks before it. Um and I just thought the the dynamic between the Avengers, the the way the movie moved from one scene to another and basically told the origin story of this team was a lot of fun. It's easy for me to rewatch, even if like parts of it don't hold up as well as, um, you know, knowing what we know about the characters mm-hmm. now. Um, but I think, you know, this movie did a lot with the characters and gave them character development. Like this is, I mentioned it last week, I think, but we, this is where we see Steve's like mistrust of government arc start. Um, mm-hmm. And we see, you know, Tony making the sacrifice play that obviously, you know, triggers Iron Man three. And, and I, I just think with this movie, if something goes wrong or it doesn't pan out, then we get nothing after yeah. this. <laughs> like everything just dies. It falls apart. And, and for it to, be followed by two movies that aren't super well received like with iron man three and the dark world the dark thor yeah um <laughs> with those two following it and for the mcu to still maintain its momentum i think says a lot about this movie and i i just i, I just remember that the the first scene that really got me as much as i love like the opening and you know natasha recruiting bruce and that type of thing um, the first scene that really got me was when Cap was fighting Loki and, and Tony came in blasting shoot to thrill. <laughs> <laughs> it was just, I was like, oh my goodness, this is everything I want. <laughs> um, so I, I just, I don't think this one is as rewatchable maybe as some of the later ones, just given, I, I think the the Infinity War and Endgame are, are better movies, more better well-made. Um and I'll I'll agree with you on that. That's I mean that's the reason why I had it at my bottom thirteen yeah. was it's to me it hasn't not to say it hasn't aged well but in comparison to everything else that we've gotten this yeah. just 
doesn't sit, not say it doesn't sit right with me, but just it compared to everything else, it didn't age well. Yeah, it had a it had a level of camp to it that is mm-hmm. like you know a Joss Whedon thing, I think. Yeah. The other the, the other thing the other two or the the latest two Avengers movies didn't have. Right. Um, and and I think you know we really explored these characters a lot more in the following phases than we had right. up to this point, especially you know it, Thor, what what that character is now versus what he was in the Avengers is right. Stark. No pun intended. <laughs> not, not to mention that in the other Avengers films, they were able to actually develop characters rather than just give them one or two small arts. Yeah. Like, like Thor goes on a whole redemption arc in Endgame. I, I guess I misspoke when I said there's no character development in Endgame. There's some. It's very yeah. little. Uh, but but Thor goes on a whole personal redemption arc of him, for himself from the events of Ragnarok in Endgame. Tony goes to make the sacrifice play again. Um, Steve, I guess, learns to back down. And I think I think there's a lot of character development. There actually is. Now that I say it Every, out loud, all the original six Avengers had a lot of character development. Like Hawk, Hawkeye, even though he turned into a murderer off screen, he turned into not a murderer. Now I guess we'll find <laughs> out in Hawkeye series. But <laughs> so maybe I, maybe I misspoke when I said Endgame doesn't have a lot of character development. So okay, that's that. <laughs> there's some anger on my face on that one. So my point is that that first Avengers movie, you only get development for both Steve and Tony and the others, you get it for a lot of other characters. And especially with infinity war, they're able to develop a whole new villain over the course of two and a half hours. Yeah. And I I think, you know, with, with the Avengers, you know, they kind of gave Hawkeye the the shaft and and what's crazy is (laughs) I remember thinking how insane it was that they balanced all of these characters in this movie and then we got infinity war later which is <laughs> and then we got endgame which is even... <laughs> yeah but i mean at least endgame for most of the movie was focused on a smaller group than infinity war was that, that's true and just for them to be able to nail that while also making it a thanos movie is crazy um but anyways that's we'll save that for when i talk about infinity war yeah it might be a little while <laughs> <laughs> Um, all right, so you're number seven. Let's hear it. So my number seven is the first Iron Man. And I know you had this in your bottom mm-hmm. half last week. Uh, I kind of said what my praises were last week. I think it aged very well, believe it or not. Um, I said it's a, a relic of the Bush era. In a way, it's one of the last movies to come out in that in that time period. Mm-hmm. Um, the whole idea of an arms dealer coming to grips with the sins of his past and his father's past and him starting to realize some of the things he's actually brought or some of the problems he's actually brought onto this world. To me, it explored that aspect of these Afghanistan era military films that we didn't really see back then. Um, And also I mentioned this last week, it stands on its own. If you shave off the end credit scene, you could watch this on its own and pretend the rest of the MCU doesn't exist. And I think it, it's fine. Yeah. Um, I mean, it, it kind of had to, though, because it was the first one. <laughs> well, yeah. And I think I think out of all the Iron Man movies, this is the most rewatchable out of them because because it can stand on its own. Mm-hmm. I so because it because it kicked everything off and because of the gamble Marvel took on this, the fact that they essentially gambled their entire archive on this movie is just it's it astounds me this this exists and 
it kicked off the rest of the MCU. Yeah. Yeah. All, all fair points. I, I still love this movie though. <laughs> it, like, even though I had it in the, in the bottom half, it was more of a, a testament to everything that came after than a criticism of this itself. So, yeah. All right. Number six. All right. So my number six is Thor Ragnarok. Let's hear it. So I, this movie was <laughs> so much fun to watch in the in a similar way to the Guardians movies. Um, I think the humor in this was hilarious. <laughs> I mean, Taika did a great job. Korg was an amazing addition to <laughs> cast. Loved the team up of of Thor and Hulk. Um, I love the scenes of Bruce when he transformed on Sakaar, and it had been uh, three years since he <laughs> since he had transformed to Bruce, and was just very confused. <laughs> um, that, that was pretty great. Um, Jeff Goldblum, incredible <laughs> as the Grandmaster. There, That's all you have to say some... is Jeff is Jeff Goldblum. <laughs> yeah, as Jeff Goldblum <laughs> in space. Yeah. <laughs> so I I I love this. Um, my one criticism of it is I I just felt like it intentionally didn't build it all on what came before it and kind of just kind yes. of cast it aside yes and openly made fun of it which is i get it but at the same time like there are still interesting characters that you don't know what you're going to do with down the road and like the warriors three who weren't that interesting in in the mcu mm-hmm. um, but they kind of just kill them off unceremoniously aside from hogan but um <laughs> still at, at it's kind of a, a more minor thing. It doesn't really affect much of the rewatchability of this, which is very high. I'm gonna <laughs> I'm gonna say, send my praises for a lot later yep, on this one. It, it was it was very fun. Um, Chris Hemsworth was incredible, <laughs> um, and I I struggled with where to put this. I initially going through it, I had it anywhere from four to six. Um, okay. so I, I do think very highly of it. I didn't ever have it in my top three, but that's only because my top three haven't really changed as I've been going through this, but the rest <laughs> have. <laughs> um, so, so yeah, that's, that's where I'm at with Thor Ragnarok at number six. All right. At my number six, I have guardians of the galaxy volume two. So I know, uh, I know you had this at 12. You want to go ahead and give your, uh, your thoughts on it first since you said it first and we just hadn't gotten to it until now mm-hmm. yeah um i'll kind of jump in yeah so my my thing with this movie is mostly around the humor i just thought it wasn't as funny as they had gotten with ragnarok and okay. guardians of the galaxy you know two other kind of space opera comedies um uh-huh. and i felt like a lot of the jokes kind of went on too long or were called back to too many times um but you know, at the same time, I loved things like Baby Groot. I loved all the family dynamics and family themes throughout it. Ego was a great villain by Kurt Russell. And um, yeah, I mean, it's still a, a very fun movie to watch. <laughs> yeah, I didn't think the Sovereign were very interesting um, or compelling as villains. They were a little bit one note, even though there were some funny lines by them That's um, fair. throughout it. And they at least did the extra step of making them interesting by having them um, fight in like arcade machines. <laughs> which was funny. Um, it was a good, good bit. But. So, so for me, this one, I think it, as much as I love the first guardians, I think this one does a much better job at developing its characters because it takes the, the empire strikes back pro- approach of splitting up the team. Everybody goes uh-huh. their own separate ways during this. 
splitting up the team is a, is a great idea um, because it, it allows us to have these more in, intimate character moments. Grant, I think the stuff with Nebula and the Ravengers isn't really character development, but the stuff between her and Demora toward the end where they, they hash out their gripes with their dad, essentially. Yeah. And th- this, this film is loaded with daddy issues. Yeah, across the board. Um, Yondu, I think, has some of the best character development I've ever seen in, in the series. Agreed. Um, the fact that he goes from an outsider to accepting him, himself as the role of Peter's dad, and yep. Peter accepts him as his as his father. Uh, that that line of "He may have been your father, but he wasn't your daddy" just yeah. wrecked me in the theater. Yeah. Like uh, there, like you said, the themes of family and family identity really hit home here um the fact that yondu does find his family after death the ravengers come back to accept him and the fact that uh the guardians do accept him as a family member at at the end after he 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 says to to rocket i know you 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 use humor as a as a defense mechanism you find i mean you you're me essentially i know who you are i can see right through you because i've lived that life this one kind of stands on its own in its own way in the sense that you could watch it see these characters develop and then have gets the massive fight at the end yes the sovereign are are what they are they're not great villains ego is a he's a he's an interesting character because i mean he truly wants to have a son and then realizes how flawed humans are i think this is a much better villain than ultron was in that sense where we actually get some motivation other than just humans are flawed i must destroy them it's i want to know what life is like out there but it's so disappointing that i just want to get rid of it (laughs) i want to make it better in my own i want to make it better in my own vision he believes he is a god because i mean he's a celestial so he really is a god in a way yeah. um i think the character development is great i think the idea of splitting up the team is great the soundtrack for this one i think is far superior to the first one it is a really good soundtrack they're, I think a lot... they're both good i i can't pick which one's my favorite because they both rule i think this one is a little bit more to me just because it they didn't rely on any major one hit wonders or um the only i think the only major track i can think of that they really relied on was the chain yeah as a as a as a needle drop and i still remember sitting in the theater getting chills hearing the the first notes of the of the chain in the back right before the big fight yeah Um, because they had played it once earlier in the movie and mm -hmm. i thought that was it so when they went back to it 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 hit and it especially does. like you know they at the beginning they're playing it as the team is going their separate ways on bad terms sort of exactly you know, what quill, that song is about quill and, quill and rocket yeah and then they are coming back and it, it starts again and you're like oh my god yeah like it, it the the use of music in this one was very effective not so to mention it wasn't the first one too not to mention one of my favorite sequences is uh yondu with the arrow uh <laughs> um yeah taking out an entire group of ravengers while uh, jay and the americans uh come a little bit closer uh this that that scene with just the arrow going everywhere with that song playing in the background has always yeah. stuck in my mind and just the soundtrack in general is just better in my opinion there are a lot i of mean they, they explain cuts. 
Yeah, they they explain ego's entire motivation using brandy. <laughs> Pretty much, <laughs> right? Like, <laughs> like the lyrics of that song, he recites it to to Peter as, and you're like, oh, okay, that's what he. <laughs> like, okay, <laughs> that makes a lot more sense now. Yeah, so I mean, they use that as a plot device, which is a win in my book. But even even I know we just uh, left it. I want to come back just for a second. Um, the use of the chain. Uh, if you know the history of how that song was written, it it, it just expands or it just amplifies the use of it even more because that that song was written when Fleetwood Mac was ready, literally ready to fall apart. Yeah, that was one of the last, not one of the last songs they wrote, but it was when the band was ready to pull pull each other apart. So just adding into the whole idea of splitting the team up to develop and go their and go their own way, if you will. Uh, is <laughs> is a little uh, it's a little on the nose, but I think it, it hits it hits harder whenever it's used as a, in a climactic battle scene very well. Um, I don't want to dwell too dreams. Yes, thought we were also <laughs> just yelling out Fleetwood Mac songs. <laughs> um, but yeah, overall, just the whole family dynamic and the uh, the father son and even father-daughter relationships in this just elevated for me i it's some of the best character work in the mcu in my opinion that's why it's up so high those are all really good points i i haven't been the biggest fan of the decision to split the group up in this but yeah i mean you don't get those character development moments if they're all together Mm -hmm. so i i i like that for what it is yeah that makes a lot of sense to me all right, so your uh, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Two is my number six. Your number five. My number five is Black Panther. This definitely deserves to sit in the top five. Yeah, I, I like I said, I, I kick Thor Ragnarok around, um, in here, and I, around this this placing between four and six, and I, I set it on Black Panther being five. It's just such a great movie so solid my favorite thing about the entire movie is the world building in wakanda Mm -hmm. and how unique all of that felt compared to the rest of the mcu like they really made wakanda its own character and i'm really excited to see that continue in wakanda forever and Mm -hmm. whatever the the series ends up being titled but you know getting more of chadwick boseman as t'challa you know sad sad now but it was just amazing I'm so glad we were able to have this movie with him in the role after Civil War, where he, you know, stood out in that cast, which as a new character w- was really hard to do, I felt. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and then Michael B. Jordan as Killmonger was fantastic. Um, probably my second favorite villain next to Thanos in the MCU. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, his his whole motivation made a lot of sense. And, you know, you saw t'challa kind of adopt that towards the end that that was kind of the what they tried to go with for with the flag smashers done right you right. know like they they it, it was two two people that had similar yet opposing views but this is it, it's developed right here right and he he was just an interesting villain the perfect foil to t'challa and you know dealing with the the themes of legacy and what what it meant to be the actual ruler of Wakanda and what, mm-hmm. what they could represent for the world. Um, 
was really interesting. The supporting cast for this was so good from Nakia to Shuri to Okoye, Mbaku, mm-hmm. um, Claw. Like it, it just, <laughs> they, they had a great, it was almost an ensemble mo- movie, really. I mean, really, T'Challa was the main character, but they really shined, I thought, in those mm-hmm. roles and really helped flesh out what Wakanda is and what, what, who those people are. I guess my one criticism of it is kind of the, <laughs> the CGI in the final battle and, you know, Black Panther versus Black Panther kind of fight between yeah. T'Challa and Killmonger, which was just, you know, your, your Marvel final battle kind of, you know, yeah. Um, but they still added the, the emotional resonance of Killmonger's death and the beauty of that scene mm-hmm. being one of the best scenes in the MCU. I thought made it all worth it. Other than, other than the CGI, I think my major my only major criticism of this is that there are two great compelling villains in this and we only get half of the film with each of them claw for the first half and Killmonger for the second half yeah i almost i almost i I understand that they're taking wakanda forever in a different direction but i almost would have wanted claw or Killmonger to be the villain through this entire film and then the other one be the villain of, of a sequel yeah, because they're they're both just great villains. Circus really brings Ulysses Claw to life, yeah. um, and he's just kind of killed off halfway through. And I I get why, but just to me personally, I think having two great villains just brings it down just a tiny bit for me because I wanted so much more from both of them. That's fair. Yeah, I mean, I mean, Claw kind of served more of a plot uh, as more of a plot device than yeah than anything. And I, I get that, wanting to see him. I would have liked to see him kind of stick around in just a recurring antagonist role. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, that also kind of seeing that, I, I kind of assumed he would do that. And so when he got killed off, it was very shocking and very jarring to me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so I uh, overall, I mean, this movie just for what it represented, you know, to to the black community and to to have the reception that it did and get nominated for best picture. And I was just about to say that amazing. And God, it it just was so good. I remember leaving the the theater, just being so excited to see where they go with this in infinity war, Mm -hmm. (laughs) knowing that that was a couple months down the line, (laughs) like, and just immediately, I immediately wanted to go back into the theater to see this again, just because everything was so beautiful. The, the choreography of the fight scenes on the waterfall Mm -hmm. were so good the distinct locations and the set design of Wakanda versus um, like M'Baku's base. Well, what's amazing. Well, what's interesting about this is that this, because this was the first black led Marvel film with a predominantly black cast, it, this very much felt like an event movie, but with, but without needing the context of a decade's worth of lore to back it up. You can go into it. You can understand everything front to back. And this one truly, as with Iron Man 1, stands on its own. Oh, yeah. You Absolutely don't, does. It, it, does, it helps if you have some background as to like whoever Ross was and, and the events of Civil War. But yeah. you don't need to. You just you, The way that they introduce those characters and those events, it's just known. Right. Yep. Um, I, I think Kugler was the perfect person to direct this. Um, this was only his third outing with a major motion picture too, because he did Fruitvale Station and Creed before this. Yeah, and 
<laughs> I mean, a lot of Rocky fans and I hate this opinion, but Creed is one of my favorites in the Rocky franchise because of what he was able to do to do with um, its own standalone mm-hmm. uh, feature. So I I'm glad he's sticking around Marvel, and I'm glad that he's being tapped for a lot of interesting projects in the future. Yep, definitely. All right, so that that is my number five, Black Panther. Mm-hmm. So what do you have at your number five? Mine is Captain America: Civil War in the top All five. Right. Again, then deserves to sit I in the top this, five. Yeah, I have this at number four. So All right, we can uh, we can talk about this one in the entirety. So for me, the how to how to even start with this? <laughs> <laughs> there is so much that happens in this that it's it, going. I, my girlfriend and I went back to watch it a few two weeks ago and i forgot how much actually happens in this it's just jam-packed with events and character development and it the russos (laughs) really had a challenge with this one to one propel steve's story story and character progression forward while making tony a compelling villain Mm -hmm. um and at the same time you're creating a conflict within a team that his head for the most part has been pretty tight um i don't know where do you want to go with this i'm at a loss for words of where to even start (laughs) there's a lot there is a lot yeah i mean what what i what i would say about it is for me this movie only has aged better with time yes like looking back on it like this was a nuclear bomb dropped on the mcu like we're still in the films and series that we're seeing now we're still seeing the fallout of it Mm -hmm. um and when I went in the theater, I I don't know why I had this notion in my head that this airport scene was going to be like an all out war, like, you know, people are going to die. But then you get there and I remember feeling kind of let down because it seemed like it was almost a joke to them, like they weren't really taking the fight seriously or anything, mm-hmm. which after rewatches makes complete sense. Like it, they're not fighting to really hurt each other. They just want to slow down. Right. You know, Steve and stop him from getting on that plane to go to find those super soldiers so mm-hmm. but to to still have that kind of escalate to that high stakes fight between steve bucky and tony was Ooh. amazing and just the the twist that you know bucky killed tony's parents was gut-wrenching and it was mm-hmm. a huge gut punch and the the decision to hold that from the audience so that they could be in tony's shoes for that oh. was great the fact um, the Russos played both sides, yeah, e- almost evenly. Exactly. Yep. I mean, I just love love this movie, mm-hmm. and just the it had the perfect amount of like balance between um, humor and, and seriousness. You know, it, it still had that lightheartedness to it. You know, because you you have Ant Man in there, you you have the the Sam and Bucky dynamic. Mm-hmm. And really thinking about it, they. In this series, along with doing the whole um, Bucky, Steve, Tony um, kind of triad there, without this movie nailing what it nails, I don't think we get Falcon and the Winter Soldier. I don't think mm-hmm. we get WandaVision. Mm-hmm. Like, it laid the groundwork for each of those relationships. You know, it did. Kinds of relationships, but, you know, you have the the scenes between Wanda and Vision that they go back to in mm-hmm. WandaVision. And this is where we really saw their relationship kickoff Mm -hmm. and this is where we started to see some of the buddy cop 
dynamic between um, Sam and Bucky to where, you know, you have the scene with them in the car when um, Sam won't move his seat up or Bucky (laughs) won't move his seat back or something. Um, (laughs) And you have the scene with them fighting Spider-Man, which was funny. And I hate you. Yeah, I hate you. Um, (laughs) Everyone's got a gimmick now. But I mean, this this is really the only movie where they have that dynamic because they don't get a chance to after that so to see that come to life here and kind of be the basis for this falcon the winter soldier series is kind of crazy looking back on it it is not now that you say it and i I really like the um i really like the introduction of peter and aunt may in this um god yeah we didn't even talk about that yet (laughs) It's it's kind of thrown in there as kind of a setup for what's to come. Oh, for sure. So I and I remember the news dropping that Spider-Man was going to appear in in Civil War, and everyone's like, "Oh my God, what's happening?" Um, but it's only for a brief period, and I, part of me wishes that that news wasn't out there, and we only got the brief cameo, and then yeah. it comes back, and then it's it's taken away because when he was announced, he was in it. He comes in helps with the fight and then leaves and we don't see him again until the post credit scene. Right. So it, so it felt like we were kind of teased quite a bit. Cause I, oh, I felt like, sure. I felt like they was going to, they were going to use him a lot more. Um, but I liked the, I liked the fact that there is a human element to the villain. He's not some super, he's not some super soldier. He's a soldier who lost his family because of the Avengers and that uh, he's a he's also a, a genius tactician, yeah. That will stop at nothing to get what he wants, and we see that more in, Fal- in the Fountain of the Winter Soldier, uh, yep. albeit a bit more hokey. But yeah, he's he's a lot more menacing in this one, I think. Oh, and I, for sure. A criticism I've seen is that if you take him out, if you take Zemo out of this, it would still make sense. Like, well, that that just takes away the whole purpose of their battle or their their conflict the fact that there are individuals that are affected by their actions they're now facing the repercussions of those actions so it only made sense to have somebody that was yeah and i mean one of the major criticisms of the mcu in general is that we don't see everyday people and how they're affected by these events well in homecoming you get it and here you did it so it 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 only made sense to have Zemo be like the big bad of this entire yep. story. Um, like I said, there's there's so much to unpack here that I don't even know where else to go with it. Well, just run down it like the, a checklist. Like the the amount of things the Russos had to balance in this, they had yeah. to give a reason for the Avengers to fight each other. Mm-hmm. Give a reason for the Avengers to split permanently. Mm-hmm. Introduce Spider Man. <laughs> Yeah. introduce black panther mm-hmm. and have uh, like an overarching zemo mm-hmm. um plot as well like that there's a lot to lot to balance in two and a half hours and to make it work and make it all function together extremely and, well is... and not not to mention keep steve at the center of it yeah and give him a compelling arc and also develop bucky in a way yeah mm-hmm. to make him more sympathetic to make yep. us want to sympathize with the Winter Soldier, yeah, and to uh, and to include uh, Sharon Carter as well, right? Oh, I forgot about that. <laughs> I just I I don't know. We had to give Steve <laughs> a compelling arc, and then we also had to have him 
kiss his ex-girlfriend's niece. <laughs> Who we later find out could be his niece. <laughs> when you think about it. Yeah. <laughs> it's alternate. weird. We don't. <laughs> old man Steve comes up just... to, to, to Sharon when she's like <laughs> in the other in the other universe. Like, you know, in my universe, we kissed her. <laughs> <laughs> We're I trying not to think too much about that one. They definitely do that one. <laughs> What's that? They definitely regret doing that, I think. Yeah, I think so. It's that that was a weird choice. I don't know. I'm pretty know. sure it, that's why she didn't come back for Endgame cuz they <laughs> made him go back with Peggy. <laughs> reset the timeline. I yeah. maybe that's the only like, reason they sent him back was <laughs> yeah. to reset their own mistake. Yeah. I don't know. It yeah, the whole Sharon Carter's thing still bothers me. Um, you, but you, he had to he had to put back the the six infinity stones, put back Thor's hammer, and unkiss Sharon. <laughs> that was Cap's goal at the end of it. <laughs> I don't know, man. It's just that's sort of it's still such a weird choice because mm-hmm. they had they had almost no chemistry <laughs> to begin yeah. with. Uh-uh. It, um, it didn't work. But yeah, they I think the Russos really hit it out of the park with the checklist that they had to run down in order to make this work. And this is, this is Avengers 2.5 leading up Mm -hmm. to infinity war. And we needed it to an extent. And I think they did a great job with it. And the fact that the actual civil war comic is even more convoluted than this. Yeah. I think the fact that, that, um, that the writers were able to boil down to what an actual civil war in this version of the Avengers would look like is just right perfect yeah and the airport battle rules oh yeah <laughs> um but yeah i I'm probably I missing that. a ton of stuff in here that oh god I, yeah no we're gonna do that unless we dedicated that entire episode to every single movie which maybe we will do eventually yeah i think we will at some point yeah. um but yeah i had that at my number four mm-hmm. slot um so why don't you go ahead with your number four and it just cracks my top five my number four is spider-man homecoming Okay. So I have this farther up because this was a breath of fresh air in the MCU to me. Um, I saw it at a funny enough. I saw it at a drive-in. So it, it just screamed summer movie event and even seeing it at at, at the drive-in just enhanced that even more, but uh, you had already touched on a lot of what I liked about it with the twist with uh, Adrian and Liz being father and daughter. Um, I took it a little bit of a step further in that I love the fact that this is a John Hughes comedy set in the MCU. Um, the fact that we legitimately get Peter Parker in high school dealing with high school issues um, who looks like a high schooler and not some 25 year old acting yeah. like he's 17. <laughs> yeah. Um, the, the fact that they set tombs out to be the villain, obviously, and that he is Liz's father plays on a, uh, a trope of, the son have or the the boyfriend having to win over the the trust yeah. of the father it's a right. th- that twist has a little more depth to it than just uh he's he's just the cool dad like okay. that 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 plays on an old 80s movie trope that mm-hmm. i think is is pretty clever and kind of cute which just to me just changed everything um but yeah just because it's just because of the john hughes aesthetic and the the twist really sets this bar high for sets this one high for me in in my list. Yeah, and the, those are all great great points, and I, I think I 
said my piece mostly with it, but I, I love mm-hmm. this movie. It's so good. Not to mention the Tony Stark stuff. It it he adds a great uh true Uncle Ben figure to Peter in mm-hmm. this one. Yeah. The fact that they never say the words with great power comes great great responsibility just astounds me. The fact they were able to take that the idea of that quote and actually put it to screen as opposed to just outright saying it. Yeah. Really enhances it for me. I, I absolutely adore this film and think it deserves to sit in the top five. Awesome. Well, I, I love it as well. Okay, so my number three, I have Guardians of the Galaxy. Volume one. Volume one. So I I I just love this movie. I think it's one of the most, if not the most rewatchable movie in the MCU for me. Mm-hmm. It's so much fun. It was so surprising the first time I saw it, like how much I loved it. I was really worried about it. <laughs> going in like i thought the mm-hmm. trailers were great but at the same time i i was kind of nervous i mean this was the biggest maybe not the biggest risk but it was a, a huge risk to put a raccoon on screen <laughs> and be like you need to take this seriously but and a talking tree yeah that can only say three words yeah but but it works it, and the natural way they worked in the soundtrack to the story and mm-hmm. tied it into emotional beats like I, I just felt like the emotional highs of this movie are so strong with um particularly the we are Groot scene oh. and the the end scene when they're all holding the power stone. Like I just remember being in the theater and they're holding the power stone and starting to crumble apart and you just see Rocket's little tiny hand reach <laughs> up for quills and I like I like teared up so hard. Oh. And you see you see him reach um Quill look out and he sees his mom and I was like, mm-hmm. Oh my goodness, this is this is too much and then well, going think, over the the note at the end when she calls him his star, her star lord and that's where he uh, gets it so oh, that's where he gets so, it. Oh. so great i think to your point about the soundtrack though these movies don't work if that soundtrack isn't in here yeah because we need because of how weird this universe is at this point we need something to ground us back on earth mm. and that that soundtrack does it well because That's at least true. at least we know that this this song sets the tone of what these this scene is supposed to be for mm-hmm. and we can automatically connect what gun is trying to accomplish with this mm-hmm. scene that's that's a really good point. I didn't even think about it in that sense. I just thought about it as like, ooh, fun song, good emotional beat. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> it is. Yeah, there are, there, it, there. yeah, it's that too. But um, yeah, I like I I like that thought of it grounding it and kind of bringing it back to you know our universe. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and, and I know I had this in my bottom thirteen, and again, it's nothing on the actual film. As you mm-hmm. said, it is extremely rewatchable. It has one of the best color palettes I've seen yeah. in any of these. It's like visually pleasing. Like I, right. I actually feel uh, pleasure when I'm watching it. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh huh. I I just think they they do a great job of building the the relationship between all the guardians. I love just mm-hmm. spending the whole movie with them together, and they they got to that point pretty quick of mm-hmm. them being together, but they weren't really a team until until that moment with the power stone really or till the we are group moment mm-hmm. um so i think that's why that hit so hard um probably the biggest criticism i'd have of this is you know ronan being a little pretty one note as a villain yeah. um but i like that they introduced thanos here um and they didn't make him the focus or the main villain because i i think that 
you know, it, it was just enough Thanos without being too distracting, mm-hmm. <laughs> but I, I thought Ronan was a little, little one note. Um, but for me, it's just more about the, the fun of the movie, you know, and I, I just really, really love this one. Good stuff. So my number three, I have black Panther. And for a lot of the same reasons we've already talked about, um, I, I liked the, I really liked the MLK versus Malcolm X, like arguments that are built up in it. And the fact that this was Marvel's first and only best picture nomination sets it higher up for me too. Um, and even, even the passing of Chadwick Boseman ages this very well too, I think, uh, unfortunately. It makes it harder for me to watch. <laughs> really? Yeah. Okay. I, th- I think because of him dying in the movie <laughs> and seeing his like on-screen family mourn the character's yeah. death makes it hard. I, I don't know. I actually haven't watched it since he passed. Really? <laughs> yeah. I haven't so, been able to. It's, yeah, it's... I watched it the next morning. Like as soon oh, as the news goodness. came out. Yeah, like really? I, I, I had to. I had to watch something yeah. with him in it. See, I'm kind of the opposite. I, I've <laughs> found it harder to to go back and watch Mm -hmm. but um but yeah i mean i i love this love this one Mm -hmm. i i had it at number five so all right your number two uh my number two is avengers endgame all right i I had this much lower so let's hear mm -hmm. your thoughts on it i i just thought it was like the perfect fan service movie (laughs) like that that's all i wanted going in there (laughs) that's Um, that is completely fair all I wanted from this one was payoff. <laughs> and that's fair. And we got it. Uh, I mean, it was just the culmination of 21, I think at the time, movies and stories that came yes. before. And the amount of fan service was off the charts <laughs> in a way that I was happy with. And in a way, I don't think that detracted from the movie. Um, and that final battle was just all all payoff, just all fun, just mind-blowing, mind-blowing stuff. <laughs> <laughs> like cap with a hammer tony snap like the the battle between the big three and thanos and i, I just love it it just was so so fantastic yeah i i can't really fault you for if i mean if you want to pay off and you wanted fan service that's what you'd get when you watch this so uh, that's all it is there, there's really no better way to put it mm-hmm and it, it could have gone wrong. Like fan service oh, yeah. can go wrong. Like look at the Rise of Skywalker. <laughs> Easily. Like that they tried to do a very similar thing with that, and I felt, and it just did not work to that level. It's mm-hmm. like that was a combination of a franchise that, you know, should have had even a bigger payoff than Marvel. Like you had mm-hmm. fifty years of storytelling that you could <laughs> That you, you should know, pull from. Right. And it just was kind of lackluster. Like it doesn't receive very well. I didn't enjoy it as much as I had hoped I would. Um, and I'm a huge star Wars fan. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, with this, it just was, it exceeded my expectations for what it could be. Mm-hmm. Well, I think, I think a lot of that has to do with the, the vision that, um, that Marvel laid out. No, he was dead for this one. I think. Oh yeah, he was, uh, this is, <laughs> um, this, I mean, that has a lot to do with the vision that was laid out around a decade ago of this is where we want to take the MCU. It was fairly obvious that this was the, without, for lack of a better term, the end game that was planned. Yeah. Of some, uh, at least something in this vein of just a massive, pan, a massive battle. And 
I mean, those those shots of of all the armies coming in through the portals were just like yeah. splash pages across a comic book. Yeah, that are splash panels, so it would just cover like page to page. Yep. I, I mean, yeah, it still gives me chills to think about yeah. hearing that on your left one one more time and seeing yeah. everybody come through. It just uh-huh. oh my I god! I think that 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 scene too to for them to keep that for the most part behind um you know in in secret right like they Mm -hmm. didn't we kind of had hoped going in that there would be a bigger battle once everyone came back but we didn't know if it would be hey you snap your fingers everyone's back movies over right no it was like no we're snapping we're snapping our fingers everyone's coming back and then we're gonna have a big battle (laughs) oh my god this is awesome (laughs) like i mean i I said this i think walking out of the theater but we saw spider-man slinging from Mjolnir through the sky and landing on a flying Pegasus <laughs> holding the infinity gauntlet. It was like, yep. All right. I'm in. Let's do it. It's cool. <laughs> I'm not going to ask too many questions, but let's keep it coming. <laughs> so, so speaking of things that could go horribly wrong at any second, my number two is Thor Ragnarok. Okay. And it's up here. I know you had it a lot lower or a little bit lower yeah. between your four to six. Yeah. Yep. And it's up here for me because this, this thing should not exist <laughs> in, in my mind. Like this movie should not exist in any universe, but it, it does. And it works. I mean, the fact that this had to redefine Thor without throwing out the rest of the MCU in general, yeah. just absolutely astounds me that Watiti was able to pull it off. And the fact that almost 80% of it is improvised is even better. Yeah. Um, Very true. It, it is so wacky and weird and out there. The fact that almost every shot looks like it could be on a magic card or in a D and D manual just absolutely blows my mind. Yeah. The, uh, the needle drop of immigrant song to, to book and Thor's arc in this one is probably the best needle drop in the MCU to me. Easily. There I, was, I don't even think there's a comparison. No, <laughs> there was a, there was, I know there was a thing on TikTok going around a while ago of what song would you put in instead of this one? And, and people kept putting different songs in for, for, for him getting his powers back. <laughs> I'm like, there's literally nothing else that would work other than immigrant song because yeah, it, it's, it's about, it's about Vikings. Yeah. It has a powerful riff behind it and you, you just, you want to kick ass while you listen to it. <laughs> yeah. Um, and the fact that we see, we see Thor come into the role as chain of Asgard and fully embrace who he is while at the same time, what just outright chooses to write off the first two Thors yeah. without question is a stroke of genius in my mind. <laughs> Somehow moving forward into the future while writing off the past. And that's, that, that's basically what the film yeah. itself is about. Because Hela is all about, let's take Asgard back to its roots and do what we used to do. Yeah. And, I mean, it, it it's hard for me. I don't mean to. We bring this up all the time. I don't mean to di- dive into politics. This came out in 2017. When I first saw that, it was so hard for me not to draw the Trump comparisons, even if that wasn't intentional make asgard great again (laughs) really yeah like it was it was so hard for me not to draw those parallels even if that was not the intention of (laughs) of somebody 
who used to rule Asgard coming in to rule it once again and quote, restore it to its former glory. Yeah. Um, while at the same time, exposing all of the underlying issues that caused that mm-hmm. history. Um, my, this isn't even a major criticism, but the, uh, the event of Ragnarok itself is just kind of thrown out there as a joke. <laughs> like, yeah. like Sarter just comes up out of the ground and blows up Asgard and that's the end of it. Yeah. I think that's, I think that is something I, that left a little bit of a sour taste in my mouth because Ragnarok is to me has always been like this huge event and mm-hmm. i remember when seeing that title thor ragnarok it was like oh man this is gonna change everything and it did they even said that when they announced thing. it it was it was closer to like a planet hulk movie <laughs> really it was but i i i still am kind of disappointed that we'll probably never get a true ragnarok in the mcu yeah a reboot um <laughs> but yeah, I mean, ultimately, it's it's worth it. If we got a, a Ragnarok that was kind of your standard like fantasy epic, then it would have been more in line with the first first two Thor movies, and they had to get away from that. And I think some of the background of this just makes me love it even more. So, the story I had heard was that um, when Watiti went in to pitch this to the Marvel executives, he took in a sizzle reel, which is essentially just like a like clips of various movies that he wants to pull from. Uh-huh. Um, and w- one of the ones he kept pulling from was Martin Scorsese's After Hours from 1985. Uh-huh. And it, it's essentially about a, a guy who leaves work. It, it takes place over one night where he del- dives into like the underworld of New York City because he wants out of his old life mm-hmm. and is bored with it and ends up wanting back in so he's essentially crawling back out of hell in a way it's all metaphorical it's really weird and bizarre but the fact that the sizzle reel that watiti came up with was clips from after hours set to immigrant song (laughs) really (laughs) yeah that's that's what that's what (laughs) that's what i've heard he came up with and he described it as after hours in space and that's exactly what we got (laughs) so it just I love it even more that he had the balls to just throw everything else out throughout the Lord of the Rings stuff throughout the, the Shakespearean stuff and say, no, let's get weird and wacky with this oh, embrace God. how bizarre the Thor lore is. Yeah. And just let's go all out on it. Yeah. And th- this is, and just seeing this and seeing some of the stuff he's saying about love and thunder, the yeah. fact that the fact that he said that it, it's a movie essentially written by a 10 year old where we didn't say no to anything just (laughs) makes me even more excited. Yeah. Yeah. It's going to be a blast. And this one is too. So Thor Ragnarok is my number two. Okay. My number one, um, you can guess now by process of elimination, (laughs) but it's uh, Avengers infinity war. All right. So I, I had this one above Endgame because you you mentioned it earlier, but it's an achievement. Mm-hmm. It <laughs> to is to be able to to capture on the hype and to, to be fair, both of them are. Yeah, anyway. to deliver a, a Thanos movie disguised as an Avengers movie, yeah, was brilliant. Um, having him be the focus, putting the the emphasis on his reasoning, his journey, and really just following him from Infinity Stone to Infinity Stone as he collects them was really cool choice um this is the pokemon movie we always wanted 
Yeah, <laughs> gotta gotta catch them all. <laughs> um, but to 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 make that choice is risky because you're putting a lot of faith in the audience buying this giant purple guy as this <laughs> intimidating villain. But Brolin pulls it off, and mm-hmm. like you said, for them to to pull the balancing act of all these different groups of heroes interacting with people they don't normally interact with and still having that chemistry and just the the number of emotional beats and really making the the emotional core of the movie you know revolve around these different relationships um between like the, the theme of the movie really is sacrifice yeah i mean you have the you have the core the core relationships that um you know, playing this being like Wanda and Vision, mm-hmm. um, Thanos and Gamora, Star Lord and Gamora, because he is ready to sacrifice her before mm-hmm. Thanos can. Right. Um, you know, Steve not wanting to sacrifice Vision and and talking about all of that. Um, the themes were really strong. It was more than just an action movie. I felt mm-hmm. even though that it was very very action heavy, um, I still feel like they gave enough time somehow to the characters to to make all of this make sense um as we kind of move from one place to the next and it it didn't feel bloated where it could have it was a very heavy movie to watch i felt especially with the end like you mentioned Mm -hmm. um but to me it makes it more rewatchable because i i love knowing the the emotional (laughs) stakes that are at play Mm -hmm. for all the earlier scenes knowing that what we know is coming in the end right and i and i think i think to that point you and i both mentioned that um, and the fact they were able to balance all of them or all of these different groups of characters that doesn't work if you don't have the central character bouncing from group to group to group collecting the the stones yeah. so it, it then it just be, becomes a jumbled mess and uh to the point that uh the fact that we're seeing these great team ups it's, it's almost like you're seeing your friends become friends with your other friends <laughs> in a sense yeah. that that uh for example now we have uh the guardians of asgard yeah the asgardians basically. team up yeah. um and even showing up in love and thunder apparently so yeah. uh that that whole group that whole core group has chemistry together and works well together mm-hmm. uh is just a miracle yeah and i mean we got we got hints of chemistry between strange and and peter parker mm-hmm which is going to pay off in, in no way home. Um, mm-hmm. So it's cool stuff. And this, you know, took the Wanda and vision arc to, its, to the next uh, level, to the next level for sure. Really making them one of the emotional cores of the movie. Mm-hmm. So I, I just, I just love this. It's, <laughs> I could rewatch it all the time. Just, I, I just remember the hype coming into this <sighs> was so real with the, the trailer being, one of the best trailers I've ever seen with the voiceover from Fury and stuff like that. Um, But it was, the hype was real. And just starting it off with Mm -hmm. that scene of Thanos aboard the Asgardian vessel was sending chills down your spine. (laughs) You knew that was it for Loki when, (laughs) when that ship came up, I felt in the post-credit scene of Ragnarok, but this, it just, it started with a bang right there and just Mm -hmm. never lets up. Mm-mm. and i just love that about it so it is it is my favorite mcu movie all right so my favorite in my number one spot is captain america the winter soldier and i say i say that because to me this is the most rewatchable 
Um, the the Russo brothers. The, this was their first time directing a a Marvel movie. Commu- the series Community and and Arrested Development. They both helped propel them into this into this role. Um, Community was known for its genre uh, genre making or genre episodes. Yeah, and this plays into the spy thriller genre like no other like this set up what the mcu could do and everything after this just follows that template to a degree radnorok is a wacky sci-fi adventure um civil war is a geopolitical thriller um yeah it showed that it showed that they don't have to be just your standard superhero movie that we've seen before no and it, it delves into very relevant themes at the time and are still relevant today of the idea of government surveillance and what people are able to do with that power um the 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 whole stunt casting of robert redford as as essentially a cia director or as director of shield in this case just just solidifies the tone they were going for of a 70s action thriller um i will say you and i you and i saw this together I was out of my mind on cough syrup because I was only like a stage away from pneumonia (laughs) when I saw this. And I remember vividly the, the twist of Zola coming up on the computer saying, Nope, Hydra has been in on this the whole time. Uh They're within your, they're within shield and they're just spread throughout the entire country. And actually thinking about it, that's aged very well when you think about it. Oh, yeah. For sure. um, this this to me, it's explains what the MCU can do. It sets up a very unique vision and style, and it gives Steve a very compelling arc of it set as you keep men- as you kept mentioning, it's set it's set up in the Avengers. He starts to distrust the government based on what they're doing. But here, this just solidifies that everything that he hate, everything that he knew is a lie. That shield should no longer exist. Just burn it all to the ground, and yep. let's restart. Let's do something new. This isn't working. Mm-hmm. Um, and this just sets up his character arc for the next five or six movies. Yeah, I mean, this sets up his whole worldview for Civil War. Because if the U.S. government wanted and the U.N. wanted to keep him in power or wanted to keep him under their thumb, he could be out doing Hydra missions without. And this this, I mean, sets up John Walker, too, in a way of um, of what if the government had a true super soldier on their side at all times. So, I mean, if or when we eventually do episode reviews i'd like to go into a little more detail on this but to me because of because of the state i was in when i saw it and it just it vividly is sitting with me i i i can't say enough of this of captain america and the winter soldier my own actually my only gripe with it is the fact they called it the winter soldier i mean yeah. bucky's only in it for a short amount of time and when they announced that that was the title. Everybody knew where this was going right away. <laughs> With uh, the Bucky stuff, you mean? Yeah, yeah. Every, everybody knew. Anybody who pays attention knows who the Winter Soldier is, and knew which who... is why they didn't make that the twist. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> to be fair. <laughs> to be fair, yeah. It was played as like a reveal to Steve and not mm-hmm. to us. 
Right. Even though the general viewer was probably surprised. And I mean, to that point, it does, again, that changes his whole worldview too, because yeah, I mean, he didn't know his best friend was alive. Yeah. I mean, no arguments from me on any of that. I think I, I think I said it during my review, but I think it's a near perfect movie, honestly. Um, But yeah. But anyway, that's a lot that we covered. (laughs) That's a lot. Yeah, this we is going to be a long one. <laughs> we, had a, we had a lot to say about all of these. Uh, do you just yes, want to do a quick, quick recap of your top 12 then? Yep. So my top 12. Uh, number 12, I have Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. Number 11 is Spider-Man Far From Home. Number 10 is Captain America The Winter Soldier. Number 9 is Spider-Man Homecoming. Number 8, WandaVision. Number 7, The Avengers. Number 6, Thor Ragnarok. Number five, Black Panther. Number four, Captain America Civil War. Number three, Guardians of the Galaxy, Volume One. Number two, Avengers Endgame. And number one, Avengers Infinity War. And then for me, at number 12, I had Spider-Man Far From Home. Number 11, I had Iron Man 3. Number 10, Avengers Endgame. Number nine, WandaVision. Number eight, Avengers Infinity War. Number seven, Iron Man. Number six, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. Number five, Captain America Civil War. Number four, Spider-Man Homecoming. Number three, Black Panther. Number two, Thor Ragnarok. And number one, Captain America, The Winter Soldier. And as always, our show notes contain all of our social media links so feel free to reach out to us on any of those or send us an email at infinitywatcherspod at gmail.com let us know your top five yeah we'd like to know your entire ranking yeah that too (laughs) either one but yeah i think that's about it for this week (laughs) (laughs) i'd say so That's, that's been a lot so join us next week on Infinity Watchers. We're happy to have you here. We'll be happy to see you again next week. <laughs>